0: For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash
1: podcasts. Now Kevin Galvin stepping in for Neil Prenderville. As I said, Tuesday the 8th of August. Thanks very much for keeping me company over the next couple of days. I will be here until Friday when Neil returns back from his trip away. And a well deserved break it is too. And uh, just hope you had a good bank holiday weekend. Let me know what you were up to for the weekend. We saw plenty of festivals around. Um, although, as I said, the weather, a bit of a washout. Um, some of the scenes. From all together now down in uh, Port Long County, Waterford, looked more like something out of the ploughing championships than it did out of an actual music festival. But a last blast summer special, we're being told, will see temperatures hit the mid 20s for two days later this week. Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather is quoted in that piece in the sun. He's saying, Look, Wednesday's looking the warmer day for a summer special. Thursday will start off warm but cooler, and showers moving in by the evening. So, certainly not the sort of weather we had back in May, but a nice little upturn after the wettest July in record and I think we'll all be very happy to put that month behind us weather wise Um, certainly the uh, one uh, Irish holiday makers heading to Spain being warned that uh, temperatures could be up to 45 degrees and a friend of mine was over in Seville recently temperatures going above 40 I have experienced that before in India very different sort of heat This the sun bearing down on you is so so much worse I can tell you um, than the a sort of heat in India which is almost like stepping into an oven um, the Echo lead with a very simple headline Champions Return that is of course the All-Ireland uh, with Senior Camogie winners Cork winning their first O'Duffy Cup uh, in a number of years it's their 29th win overall and really the the women paving the way for the men in terms of uh, gala games over the last couple of years I am mean, incredible success in both ladies football and camogie and it's great to see as somebody who's covered women's sport for quite a number of years in a past life that you were, we're seeing now that come on the mainstream we've, we saw the hype around the Women's World Cup we've seen the hype now uh, around the uh, the All-Ireland Ladies Football and Camogie Championship and it's just it's a real sense of like this uh, you know I think people are beginning to realise how much this matters not just in terms of the players that are involved in it and, in, and all the coaches and management and family but in terms of just the general sporting landscape that women's sport and Cork doing well on any stage really matters and it's really great to see so many people um, out to welcome the women home despite the weather um, I saw plenty of uh, woven cork sombreros in the photographs here in the exam- uh, in the uh, examiner by James Crombie uh, of Info so yeah Sea of Red uh, gathering outside the Imperial Hotel on South Mall an enormous uh, win uh, for Cork really surprising as they're seeing there Rory just really dominated the match from beginning to end and look, as I said, Waterford have some very good players, Beth Carton is the one that stands out to me, Um, she's won a number of All-Irelands but Cork were just unbelievable on the day and it's kind of one of those days where you turn up and everything goes your way Um, that doesn't mean to say that they haven't had a hard road though, Um, they lost the All-Ireland final course by a single point last year, runners up again in 2021, Uh, Galway were kind of always the team that edged them out uh, in those finals and a couple of really good battles with Kilkenny as well some of those getting physical even before they. throw-in, I remember, but great for Cork's All-Ireland Camogie winning team now to come home and to have their moment in the spotlight with the Cup and here, here, hopefully more of that to come Um, On other news three men appearing in court uh, 4 million euros worth of cocaine found in Cork and the stuff is absolutely everywhere it has infested our society, it is, as you can definitely call it, a pandemic almost across the county and indeed across the nation. Um, Like, you go into any backstreet country pub on a Saturday night and you are likely to find it somewhere it's just and it's you know the effects of it are so wide ranging on people and the effect that it can have on people's behaviour what it can do to people's mental health it's just really really dangerous stuff and just absolutely rife in this case uh, three men two Albanians and a Romanian Gentan Dodaj uh, and Donatel Dodaj both of the address of Paradise Road in Athlone and they appeared alongside Daniel Afadoe of, uh, Schley and Afrin also in Athlone. They've been charged with possession of cocaine and possession for cocaine for sale of supply. Um, that was in Richmond and uh, near Dunkettle. Uh, the court heard that none of the men replied when they were cautioned uh, Detective Garda Gavin Curran giving evidence of that one no bail applications were given um, to the three individuals although they were given uh, free legal aid and remanded in custody to appear before the court again by video link on August 14th and it's just this stuff is being seized everywhere I mean we were talking about a big seizure up in Donegal some of that floating down towards the West Cork coast um, and it's just It's really starting to become massively rife in our society and a big worry not only for families of people who are affected or for people who are having those issues but also for the emergency services who are having to deal with the clean up of that afterwards and it really, really is a very infestive um, drug, um, investive drug should I say and it's it's just, it's very, very difficult to get off the streets but uh, certainly another 4 million of it, at least street value uh, 4 million of it taken off Um, In other news, um, the Sunset Ridge, um, that's back up, uh, it's on sale at the moment and there is a residential plan for it, that was back in March, it was given the green light I think Harkin is the auctioneer down there in Killeen's, um, and it will be interesting uh, the hotel obviously ceasing uh, be- declared derelict in 2019, uh, burnt out then after that um, and uh, Councillor Damien Boylan saying it was uh, it, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to breathe new life into the area, but I wonder do the people of Killeen's feel the same because you might remember the not so long ago, they were blocking, barricading a new development that was entirely social housing going into the area. The The area has already pretty much been exhausted in terms of its quota for social housing. So it'd be interesting to see on this Sunset Ridge House how much more social housing will be in there. Is all social housing bad? No, um, absolutely not. But you can understand from a resident's point of view why when they see other developments going up that are mixed and they see, I suppose, a mix of private and social housing going up, that they can be, you know, and as somebody who is currently, uh, looking for a home, I can tell you auctioneers are telling me that you are not only now bidding against other families and other people trying to buy a house, but you are bidding against the state. So, you know, on one hand, give us, I suppose, another take, take it away. Um, a nice cork story, um, here, um, this is in Pinocchio's toy store. I'll be hoping to speak to why Stansfield later on, the owner, um, why a, a lovely guy, um, play football with a son, but that's a different story for another day. Um, but yeah, Pinocchio's in town. Um, they have been there for an age I can never remember a time where I've walked through Paul Street and not seen them Um, but yeah, a lovely uh, package recently from a young boy by the name of Oliver who uh, unfortunately took a a bad decision we've all made them and pilfered a marble out of the shop walked straight out of it put it in his pocket off he went he had a free marble now, I, I don't know about you guys but it seems strange to take one marble I mean, you know, you're not going to have much of a game of marbles by only playing with one, but <laughs> maybe after realising his mistake, Oliver got a bit of a dressing down and uh, returned the marble with an apology note uh, to Wayne, who obviously took it in, in, in good jest and in good form, so hopefully we'll be speaking to Wayne on that later on. Um, a very sad day, of course, we've been speaking about last week, um, and of course today is the day that Sinead O'Connor um, gets laid, laid to rest Um I mean, look, it's very impo- it's impossible to add on what has already been said. Dave Fanning um, a couple of weeks ago on this show paid a very heartfelt and um, really incisive tribute to a woman who wasn't without her issues, um, she would admit herself, but certainly somebody who brought a huge amount of joy to an awful lot of people with her music and, um, you know, following the death of her son Shane last year, it was its just, it was a very, very difficult time for, her. I mean, anybody who was on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now, we'll get to that in a second, but um could see that the you know she was if was, she was just in a very bad place. Um, and unfortunately um, unfortunately Sinead, Sinead passed away but um, look they will be lining the streets of Bray um, this uh, this the today uh, her funeral taking place there um, and you know people in Bray would say she was kind of a very reserved person, very quiet person but she was seen, she wasn't somebody who hid away totally uh, from everybody so um, very very sad day um, will be in the town of Bray in County Wicklow. Um, a very sad day or a very sad weekend as well for the family of Deirdre Finn um, um, the uh, detective who died on a boat fire on the River Shannon, um, and you know one colleague paying tribute to her, saying that she always put herself before any of body else. Um, also tributes uh, from G.R.A. President Brendan O'Connor. Um, but a very very sad case um, where she was very close to retirement, very well liked it seemed uh, within the uh, within the force, and uh, tragically passing away on a boat on, near Carrick and Shannon um, in County Leitrim. Um, um more I suppose tragedy on our nation's roads we always see it bank holidays always coming up um, it is always a time where we kind of think we're being told to slow down, we're being told to stay off any drink and drugs before we drive a vehicle, um, we're being told to be mindful of, of what we do um, but uh, an arrest, the stats have come out now, motorists arrested every 30 minutes on suspicion of driving under the influence over the bank holiday Monday and it's by Monday afternoon a total of 134 people were stopped by guardi at various checkpoints across the country that is a very very shocking statistic for anybody who is on the road um for those of us who are driving clean to know that there are that many people out there who could be potentially taking a chance now of course arrests on suspicion that's not to say that all of those um have been uh, caught and of course cork is this year the third worst county in terms of road facilities. Now of course we do have the high, the largest road network and probably the most difficult road network to maintain. So one could argue probably one of the worst conditions of roads in some places um, but that is down to the sheer size of it. But uh, Cork, already nine people this year in the county dying uh, in in the roads and it, look they're, they're very dangerous things. Um, I don't think anybody who's, who knows that needs to be told. Uh, in Cork also um, impossible to rent. We are talking about um, trying to, the new development at Sunset Ridge. And for those people who are on those uh, I suppose those housing lists that would be a huge relief, uh, relief. Um, the front page of the examiner 14 times as many listings on Airbnb as on DAF now there was legislation brought in for this I mean landowner, landlords or people who owned houses who were trying to rent out an Airbnb were being told you have to get planning for a short term let have any of them none in? No. Has there been any back, uh, bite back from that? Absolutely not so at the moment there are 181 uh, uh, Airbnb rentals um, in Cork City compared to 40 long-term lets and it's even more shocking when you get to the county long-term county rentals 34 34 houses in the entire county of Cork are up on daft at the moment to be let you want to look for a house in Cork County on Airbnb you got your choice of 1,418 I mean, if you're somebody who's who's struggling to... to home, we've seen the amount of homelessness figures and I know Dara O'Brien was speaking in The Independent this morning saying that he wants to up... Uh, rental, uh, the, 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 I suppose the government credit for re- renters up to basically giving them a free month every year. And again, that is houses that are registered under the RTB. Not every house is registered under the RTB, as we've certainly found out from people in Cork. So if you're in a house that isn't registered under the RTB, you don't get a free increase. If you're looking for a house or if you've been moved out of your house now to the eviction ban and you're in Cork County, you've, you've 34 to choose from. If you're in the city, you've 40 to choose from. I mean if you want to get a long term uh, Airbnb it's probably your best option maybe contact an Airbnb owner and say look can I rent this for three months but it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more than it is on Daft but it's, it's just crazy Um, the the um this is the situation at the moment and as we talk about that and we talk about the difficulty in people and how people are struggling we also hear that 20 million euros being claimed by welfare scammers and that over it's over 19.6 million euros worth of payments linked to suspected social welfare fraud were issued by the Department of Social Protection last year to confirmed by Minister Heather Humphrey so you can't get a house if you're trying to find one when you do get one it mightn't be um, registered on the RTB you mightn't have a right but then, you know, you're, you're struggling to try and feed your family. You're struggling trying to, to try and get by. And then you hear that almost €20 million Euro has gone to people who don't even deserve it. A beggar's belief. I'll be back after the break.
2: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106.
1: Red FM. I'm joined on the phone by former murder detective with London's Metropolitan Police, Colin Sutton. Colin, first of all, thanks so much for, for having a, a chat with us here on the Neil Prenderville Show. No worries. This is a case that, of course, look it's It's the longest revived case in the history of the state. What has allowed it to be kind of brought back and and what sort of technology are we talking about here
3: i think it's you know it's a very common thing these days when when these old cases are resurrected it is almost always because there is DNA found on exhibits that were taken at the time, so in this case you know forty plus years ago uh and the advance of science in, in the forensic sciences and what they can do in terms of getting a DNA profile from these old uh, samples or old exhibits has has come to the point where almost all the f- police forces certainly in, in, in the UK are, are, um, are, are, are going through their old cases now and saying, well, what can we do? What have we still got? Because the important thing is is that because murder is, you know, the ultimate crime, uh, the exhibits and the paperwork should, in theory, always be kept indefinitely. Mm. So there should always be the ability to go back to these old, you know, clothing, old weapons, uh, samples, swabs that were taken around the scene, whatever is available, to go back to it and say, okay, let's give that to the scientists. Can they find us a DNA profile from it? Exactly. And. and
1: yeah, 42 yeah. years I mean, yeah. it was the summer of 1981 it was, I mean, yeah. it, it seems incredible to think that all those years later, that no long would finally see justice
3: Yeah, it does and and I think in some ways it's reassuring, isn't it that, you know, that the, the, the wheels of justice never stop turning for these people and, and, you know, no matter how long ago people might have committed these these terrible crimes, there is still a chance that they can be made to pay for it, and of course You know, in some ways, he's had 40-odd years of of freedom that he shouldn't have had because, you know, if he'd have been... uh uh, arrested and convicted back then when it happened then he presumably would have been in prison for most of that time um but it's I, say, I, I think it's reassuring to us all that that uh we we don't give up and the police police forces be they in 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 the state or be they over here in in, in the mainland in the uk um they don't give up they, they they still want to solve these these terrible cases
1: and of course like you know at the time I mean, the vehicle that his no longs vehicle was, was forensically examined. The now retired forensic scientist Maureen Smith telling the trial that she examined tape lifts. You know, there were nine black viscous fibers, um, yeah. that matched the same fibers from the carpet, same on her dress. I mean, there, there was a huge amount of corroborating evidence even back then to, to, so it seems, I suppose, how can you explain? a lot of people would be wondering how it took so long for this to come to justice.
3: Uh, I think it's you know again I'm am speaking not having the have the uh, the experience and the privilege of, of of working in in the Irish Republic but uh, I'm sure it's similar for murder cops there as it is throughout the world that so, you know the. the the most recent case is always the most important, and in some ways that's true because you've always got the most chance of solving something when it's fresh, you know? Um, and and these things that, that stick around and aren't solved kind of get put on the back burner, and then eventually no work's going on on them, and they're sort of stalled, but they do still sit there for years and years and years, and, and it's now this new enthusiasm, really, to to look at old cases and use the advances in science to to try and get a result with them. You know, there, there's nothing, DNA is a, DNA's a wonderful thing. DNA, DNA identification has been a game changer for police and law enforcement throughout the world. Um, and, and when you get, you know, they, they sometimes in many cases, that will be the only chance of going back 40 years. The only chance you've got of of making progress is if you can find an old exhibit that has DNA on it, because most of the witnesses are either sadly dead or, you know, their recollection after 40 years. You know, who's who's going to who's going to come forward with new stuff? And and it's it's everything is sort of predicated on the DNA, really, for these cold cases. And look, as as
1: somebody obviously you've worked with a lot of these cold cases, what kind of effect did that does it have on the victim's family for them for them finally to get that justice?
3: Yeah, I mean it's. <sighs> It's difficult, isn't it? Obviously, they're thrilled. I think they're thrilled really just to know that somebody still cares about their case and is still working their case, You know, whether or not there's a success in it. I, I'm, I, I don't believe that this thing called closure really exists. Uh, I, I say this many times. I think that you learn to live with the loss of a loved one to murder, but you don't ever get closure on it you know life is never the same and life is very different and you learn to cope with that different life and life being different how it would have been had it not happened um so you know i I don't think there's a closure but there's there's probably a a degree of peace in in their minds that now at least somebody has paid for it i suppose yeah because Um, i mean i suppose it
1: must it must be extremely difficult especially in this case where you know, look, he had 31 previous convictions between 1966 and 2016, 27 yeah. in the, in Ireland and, and four in the UK. Of course, a former, yeah. um, a British army soldier in the 1960s. Soldier, yeah. When, when you see families like that and they're aware that there's somebody like this, even I know that there's people in the local area in passage Westbury was living were saying that they felt uncomfortable with the fact that this man was living amongst them in terms of speaking about closure for 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 the police service at least that must be bring them closure to say that the, we we've got this guy off the streets
3: yeah absolutely and, and there's a great deal of satisfaction in that and there's a real benefit for the community that that guy's off the streets you know and, and that's that's sometimes the most important thing that that law enforcement achieves by uh, by convicting these people. is actually preventing any future victims. Mm. But I think just for the individuals, you know, it, it's a very humbling thing. Uh, and I, I've had it many times. You, you you, know, you get a result at court and you're pleased that you've succeeded and you've done your job well and you've done your job professionally. And then you go to the family of the victim and there's hugs and there's kisses and there's shaking of hands and tears. And at that moment, I realize I've done my absolute best that I can for them but I can't bring their loved one back yeah. and there's this realisation that now they need to cope going forward You know, that's the, it's not closure but it's the end of the line it's the end of the process and it's how do they carry on and live their life going forward from that and I think that's the reason why so many police officers who are involved in, in murder investigations maintain a relationship with the victim's families long after the case is over because you, you give a part of yourself to these to these people and, and you know, you're part of their life and, and you need to remain part of it. I mean, you've solved 35 murder investigations over the course
1: of your, your nine years. Yeah, yeah. Like, is there any sort of commonality that links... These, these, these attackers. I mean, you're, you're talking about people like I know the Delroy Grant. Obviously, is the very yeah. high-profile one that was, uh, of course, yes. appeared. But is there anything that that that, that, that connects uh, these attacks? Anything that connects these killers?
3: I think there's a, I think there's a difference in some ways because the vast majority of, of murders are committed spontaneously, or at least without any real degree of planning, and that's really why police are actually really good. at at solving them compared to, say, burglary or thefts from cars and things, you know, where it's difficult because you still treat murder as such a serious crime, you throw lots of resources at it and, and, and people who've committed murders basically mostly didn't set out to commit a murder. So they make mistakes and they haven't considered how they're going to be caught and how they're going to leave evidence and what the CCTV will show and what their phone records will show, you know, and all, all the modern things that go on. But right at the end of it, there's, there's, that's probably 95, 98% of murders, but the other 5 or 2% at the end are the people who go out intending to murder and have thought about these things before and they are the most difficult ones because there's no rhyme or reason for that. And and when you look at those serial offenders or, you know, deliberate murderers, I think the commonality that I found is just an arrogance. It's just really an arrogance that they they believe that they're able to do whatever they can and that they won't be caught and that almost a sense of entitlement uh, to carry on with what they want to
1: do. That is certainly what was described in this case in terms of a kind of a lack of any sort of empathy towards the family, yeah. a lack of understanding, not even a lack of understanding, but a lack of, I suppose, admission and an unwillingness to cooperate with police at the time. So for people, I suppose, that of often, as you say, you know, gives people a hope, particularly in the case where you of somebody who isn't cooperating with police, who seems to think yeah. that they will essentially stick their head in the sand and get away with it. cases like this prove that that's not always that's not that won't always happen
3: no that's right you know it's it's i I think that um because of this arrogance or this narcissism that many sort of deliberate murderers have they always believe they're cleverer they're 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 more astute they're more cunning than the police officers that will be chasing them unfortunately for for us and, and for the community as a whole that's very often not the case and uh you know there are some amazingly talented and dedicated people doing that job, who will track these people down, and, and thank God that they do. Mm.
1: You say obviously this 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 DNA case could be used in future cases. Could could we almost you know see the the name of Nora, Nora Sheehan and her legacy almost be that that people in, who are in similar situations to her or, or or have you know similar cases to her will ultimately find their justice for that.
3: Yeah, I I would hope so. You know, and I I mean, she—yeah, thankfully, she 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 joins a a growing list, I suppose, of 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 crimes from you know times even before I joined the police, and I've been retired for ten years now um, that that, that are being solved. Uh, And and I think the 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 big message from that is is that you know there's, there's there's still sadly a lot of people out there who have got something like this on their conscience, and I'm I'm quite glad that they can't. They can't really rest easy. They can't really sleep easy at night because they they have to think that even after all this time, the authorities are still coming for them.
1: And I suppose, look, you're, you're, you yourself are still very much in maybe not on the the murder end of it, but certainly in in terms of the private uh, investigative work that you do now after that. How how have you found that, and how have you found that? How rewarding have you found that in terms of compared to the the job that you had done previously?
3: Oh, I mean, it's 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 not it's not. Real. I don't do a great deal of it, to be honest. I I, I do mostly do sort of writing and, and TV stuff, but sometimes within the TV, we, we we get the opportunity to to do some investigation, and uh, <laughs> it's sometimes you feel like you're you know you you. It's very difficult to do things without the access to all the uh, all the databases and all the information, all the stuff that you have when you're a police officer, and it's very difficult to do things with. You know, just one or two people, as opposed to an army of of thirty. But uh, we can still make a difference, and that's that's the best thing. When every now and then we manage to turn something up, and we're able to give it back to the police, or, or to prove something to a to a family that that uh, you know want answers about what's happened to their loved one. And uh, yeah that's that's a very rewarding thing to do.
1: I I heard you previously say in interviews that you know you're you're a person who like you love a crossword news in the newspaper you yeah, love a yeah, challenge yeah. you love a puzzle. So is that kind of the the, the kind of attributes you need to, to to go into a job like that?
3: Yeah, I I think so. I I think you know I think detectives are good at understanding people more than anything else and and so you kind of have to have the ability to put yourself into somebody else's shoes and say, How would, how might somebody have thought in that situation? What would they most likely do? And then check that out. And, and that combined with this sort of idea of, 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 of coming at problems from any angle, you know, and, and, and not, not giving up and not thinking, finding a way to, 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 or to try and disprove or find out the information that you want. Um, I think that's really, you know, in the day-to-day work, that's what attracted me and that's why I, I, I enjoyed doing it so much and why I stayed doing it for so long. Um, but ultimately, the, the satisfaction I get looking back is the fact that, you know, we we as a team took out two of uh, London's worst serial offenders in, in of our generation and in doing so, literally protected dozens and dozens of women from being attacked by them because they would have been had they been left free to go on. And that's the thing that really motivates me and, and makes me more happy a, a about what we did looking back.
1: As you were saying, this this case and this, this, mm-hmm. I suppose, the success for Angarda Shia will obviously, as you say, give them a huge amount of motivation as well. We, yeah. we do have other... Very high-profile cases, you know, I'm thinking of obviously Sophie Cuscon de Plantier down in West Cork, which is very notable mm-hmm. now, given the documentaries. Thinking of yes. Tina Satchwell, like for those families and for those people, this will give them an enormous amount of of hope. But also, I presume it will give Gardy a huge amount of motivation that if if the you know if the case of uh, Nora Sheen can be resolved, then perhaps it gives hope to the
3: others. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's it's. Um you know, the, the, the hope for the families has to be tempered by, by a reality. You know, I, I, I would hate ever to try and sort of make make people have expectations which are un, unreal and, and unreasonable, you know. But I think for many of them, as I think I said earlier, the, just the very fact that people, police, the authorities, the Garda are still interested and still looking at it is massive for them. Because I think certainly after, you know, 20, 30, 40 years... Those that survive will think that their case has been forgotten. And I think just to know that it hasn't been forgotten and people are still looking at it and still trying um, will will be a huge thing for them.
1: And can I ask you just, obviously, as somebody who, you know, you, you say you work now in and you do a lot of TV writing and book writing yeah. and there, yeah. there seems to be a renewed, certainly in the last maybe 10 to 15 years interest in, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of murder uh, topics on TV, we see it in yes. books. Is that, and I suppose cold cases particularly now are, are of massive interest, as I referenced the Sophie Tuscan de Plantier case, is of huge yeah. interest and a lot of documentaries made about it.
3: Is that helping? yeah I, I i think it is to a degree i think there's you know i i'm i'm not sure sometimes when we send a, a a report or a long letter to the police and say we've been looking at this and you ought to have a look at it that they definitely think that we're helping them i know we are but you know police have got lots and lots and lots of things to do these days and and uh and you know in some ways we're just adding to that but but no i think overall it does help i think the i think the whole Kind of true crime genre and, the, and the, the explosion in it over the last few years is is, is an understandable phenomenon because it's it kind of it takes people into a world that they know isn't their world, but they think actually it could be and what must it be like to be in that world um, and 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 so you can see where the attraction is with that. But what what I'm quite proud of, you know, I do my I do my series. I've made my just finished filming my third series of something called real manhunter for the sky over here sky mm. crime and what we do is we try to tell every story from the point of view of the police officers that were investigating it what was it like for them doing that and from the point of view of the victim's family what was it like for them coping with it mm. and i think that said you know it's a kind of a production value if you like that i'm really keen on because I don't like to titillate. I don't like to be sensational with it. I like us to tell the story of the good guys, I suppose, in, in these stories rather than the bad guys. And I think that's important. And we, we even name each episode not after the murderer, but after the murder victim. And it's just a little thing like that. But it, it, it kind of, that's how I think, I want to take the the, the true crime genre forward. Is, is to do it in that way without any kind of glorification of, of of these despicable people that do things.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and certainly. Look, after quite some time, no Long is now behind bars. Nora Sheen's yeah. family have some sort of closure, and as you say, yeah. hopefully in the future we will see more cases like this solved thanks to some of the technology that we've seen in this case. Former murder detective with London's Metropolitan Police Colin Sutton, thank you so much for speaking to us and look, the very best uh, of success for you and your, your future TV. I'm sure a lot of people will be tuning
3: in earnestly to the latest series. Thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure to talk to you anytime.
2: Talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 104 Cork's Red FM
1: um, Once again my thanks to Colin Sutton former murder detective in the London Metropolitan Police on that shocking case um, and let's hope that the case involving Nora Sheehan will indeed um, bring some hope to some other families and hopefully that technology will be used again. I wasn't going to read out this text but I do just want to address it. A text texter says he should have been caught 40 years ago. They say the guard's you know, it was a, it was Gaddy fault that he wasn't caught 40 years ago. Well, it's just not the case. I mean, if you look at the case, unfortunately, it was just a, a terrible circumstance that the coroner involved in the case, one of the key witnesses passed away before it was ever made to trial. And, uh, thanks to that new DNA, thanks to that new technology, they were able to bring it back. But I mean, as Colin referenced before, it just goes to show you, you know, the old cases, just because that some other people have forgotten about them, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're dead in the water. It doesn't mean that they're, they're not ever going to be resolved. It just means that sometimes these things take time and I know that the people of Passage West were very happy to see no long put behind bars. That's certainly something we've read in the papers over the weekend but these things do take time and it is so I suppose for some families now moving forward they will hope that the same technology can be used and as I said in my conversation with Colin hopefully that will be uh, Nora Sheehan's legacy now going back to I suppose other matters that happened over this weekend, uh, a very frightening video uh, put up online over the weekend, Um, something that we've seen before, something that we've talked about in terms of tragedy before um, but something that seems to be cropping up a lot more now than, than I ever remember. Uh, I'm joined on line one by, by Chris. Chris, uh, thanks for joining me. Look, I just wanted to start off, if you haven't seen it, it's frightening. Um, car, Mercedes, flying down the opposite side of the road um, in on the link road um, between, I suppose, the turn off for probably brochestown you would say, and uh, Cargilline, and up towards, going towards the Magic Roundabout. Um, Chris, did you see the video? Of course I did, yeah. What want you make of you it. Done, Kevin. It is
4: very scary. You can only imagine if you're on the oncoming traffic of that. Yeah, I mean, he he
1: he wasn't slowing down either, was he? Nowhere near. Nowhere near at all. It's it's just it seems so strange that. Like we look, we've we've spoken to Cardi and and look lest I be I won't say much more lest they be accused of Garda bashing, but we contacted them, gave them quite specific details, and they said at that time they had no record of it being on case. But th- this video was was shared all over all over social media. I mean, pretty much everybody in Cork saw this thing at this point.
4: Exactly, and it's not the first race; right? it's been on the M50 other roads near Wexford. Um, and one of my friends was even. Um, had to face that as well. So he was on a motorway between on the Wexford Road, and he was faced with an oncoming car. God! And he's on a motorbike, so he had zero chance. And um, what happened? Did
1: he manage to swerve? Did he?
4: Yeah, he swerved. So he's more manoeuvrable, obviously, than
1: the the car. <sighs> It is, it's probably, as a motorist, the most terrifying thing you could probably come across, isn't it? From <laughs> driving yeah. down the motorway at 120 on a road where you, you're trying to look out for all the other lanes and then all of a sudden you see a lunatic coming towards you.
4: Exactly, and then from his point of view, I didn't have to face anything like that, but from his point of view was, um, you just don't believe it when you see it. Totally. You're but in shock.
1: You know?
2: yeah.
1: And do you, do you ride motorbikes yourself, Chris? I don't, know. Okay. just the mate that does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you say you have a very simple solution for this problem. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, so on the on-ramp, as you come onto a, a major road like that, I, I'm not saying for all roads, right, the small roads like within in the cities, obviously not, right, but the high-speed roads in particular, easy and, and over, so on the on-ramp, on just at the start of the on-ramp, that we'd have like a, a spike, so you'd be able, when you're going in the right direction, you're able to go over it, um, but if you're going in the wrong direction, that the spikes just take out the tyres. would mm. be at low speed on entry on the on-ramp, if you're going the opposite way, obviously.
1: And has this been used in other places?
4: So I've never seen it being used. Um, it was just an idea that came up, because remember, I not know, youngster ago, there used to be like car parks like that, um, mm. that they had the reverse bikes and car parks. And that's what made me think of it. So like, why not do something like that prevent it it's a high risk when you have 80k or more on roads like that because the impact is obviously double the speeds of the 160. It's high risk, so you should do something to prevent it, totally. I suppose know. people with would... is one, obviously, but...
1: Yeah, uh, but it, it seems to be the only, the only thing they have at the moment is, is those signs. Uh, but uh, I wonder if you're hell-bent on driving down the motorway on the opposite side, will spikes really make that much of a difference? Um, on the,
4: well, if you went on the on-ramp Yeah, you'd, you'd obviously get stopped at that point But then on the other side of it um, there was a good commentary on Twitter That if you went down on the on-ramp And then did a U-turn there At that stage, you don't know what to do, right? You probably could have a warning system at that
1: stage To yeah. be able to detect an oncoming traffic Just like we do at the tunnel For ourselves, for height. Because look, I, I've seen videos of guys who've gone over, like we've asked, you know, those America's Next Top Wanted videos where guys go over those spike strips and they're still carrying on in the rims. Is is that not creating an even more dangerous situation with a car whose tires are now kind of delaminated and shredding as opposed to one who actually can has the ability, because that, that will affect your stopping ability, that will affect your affect your stability under braking, surely? Yeah,
4: it would. So on the on-ramp, you'd hope the people are going like 30 or less usually on an on-ramp if they were making a genuine mistake if it's someone that's a lot worse and trying to actually go there 80 or more on the on-ramp at least the tyres will be taken
1: off on the on-ramp not on come the traffic at yeah.
4: that stage on the motorway but that's not going to
1: stop you, when, is it? I mean if you're, you're it'll puncture tyres but you can you can drive it. yeah you can, yeah, you can still tires.
4: go but at least at least the collision is not 160 right as in 280 eighty-kilometer cars colliding it's going to be 80 and maybe 10, 20 yeah so it's going to reduce
1: the risk and hopefully have people surviving. And it's, uh, look, Versus, I, you, you were know. talking about your pal on the motorway, but it, it has happened to you in town a couple of times.
4: Yeah, in town, that's, that's, you know, the usual one-way kind of stuff, right? But it's slow speed at that stage. Mm-hmm. You have
1: it's less risk. It's the high-risk roads and high-speed roads that it's, it's just high, high risk at that stage. You were saying about 12 tables in Douglas. I mean, that leads on to... A very very busy roundabout. I know, obviously, the one way leads onto the roundabout, but if somebody could easily take a wrong turn off that, thinking it's a two way street, and then all of a sudden, as you say, you, you've yeah. you've you've had it twice. I mean, what 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 do you do when you see a car driving towards you?
4: Yeah, you you not are not used to it first anyway. First of all, <laughs> but um, you just have to try to take what's going on at the time and react as best you possibly can. Yeah, it's all you can do at that stage. It's trying to prevent instead of secure. cure. We can obviously
1: ban people from the roads, but the event has happened, right? That's the problem and it, look I, I've heard of somebody who had it happen to them on their driving test believe it or not they were taking their They're test north, and somebody yeah. drove down the opposite way of them. but look I suppose the, the, the strips I mean it, it's something that like look it, it would certainly um, it would certainly I suppose people who weren't intent on going down it, it would help but it, it, like uh, that video I mean would, would spike strips really make a difference to that mark that was flying down because people were beeping at him cars were flashing at him and he just did not stop
4: yeah, I'd love to know how how he got on the road more so than actually because that was like the incident, right? That's like what's happening. I'd love to know how he got on there. Did mm-hmm. he go reverse? Like, sorry, not reverse, but go down in reverse of the direction of the on-ramp to get there. That would be the. Uh, could be good to understand that.
1: Yeah, because I mean, yeah. we were we're we're obviously talking in the context as well. Look, only a month ago, a sixteen-year-old. Johnny Foley, the car he was driving in drove the wrong way down the M8 and hit another driver head-on in Mitchellstown. I mean, it is something we're seeing more often, isn't it, Chris?
4: I'm afraid so. Yeah, and it's it's something that you're not going to survive with on the high high-speed roads. The cars' technology have worked really well, right? Obviously for eighty or less or seventy or less from the safety point of view, airbags, etc. But when you're going to those high speeds. Um, and double the speed of the collision. It's, it's, it's not going to not going to be much survivors. And if they are going to survive, it's going to be a negative impact in their life for the rest of their life. For everyone involved.
1: Uh, I, I mean, look, it, it's 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 a shocking a shocking situation. But a good good suggestion. Um, reverse strikes uh, reverse spikes on the on ramp uh, might help people out. Um, might stop some of the cars we've seen. Chris, thanks very much for that. No worries, eh? and thanks very much. No
2: worries. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM.
1: Kevin Galvin standing in for Neil Prenderville this week. Neil will be back again next week uh, from a break. If you keep an eye up with his so-called self Prophesy's popular Instagram page, you will find uh, what he's been up to over across the other side of the world. Um, Cork and a Fork, we will uh, have a great competition for you this week courtesy of them. Now, those of you who will know Cork and a Fork, they have transformed the city into a big food festival. For the last number of uh, years, um, the I suppose, look, the, the big dinner on South Mall, people will remember some of the stuff they've done on Princess Street and those, that kind of whole area is really Bring a whole sense of revitalization to the city and it's back again this year. Uh, more than 100 food events including tasting trails throughout the city, cooking demos, masterclasses, street events, bite sized talk symposiums and tons of freeze events unique dining experiences and specials as well and we are a city we, we proclaim ourselves to be a, a culinary city. We say Cork is the foodie capital, we talk about West Cork and all the amazing produce you can get down there. We've spoken to poultry farmers in East Cork and way up in North Cork as well with some of the incredible produce in the Golden Vale up towards Mitchelstown we are a city and we are a county that loves our food so we hope that's some of the prizes we're going to have for you this week will whet your appetite. As we say, something for all tastes, interests and ages, including a family-friendly programme. So, not just for those uh, experienced food aficionados, but some of those who are uh, getting their taste buds in check as well. So today, we will have a pair of tickets to the Cork Oyster Shocking Championships. That is shocking. Uh, it's a specific term uh, in terms of how to extract an oyster from its shell. That'll be in the Metropole hosting a magical evening of Monarch related food fun and frolics uh, not so great if you have a seafood allergy, I probably think this probably one isn't isn't for you but um, for, the, for the vast majority of us it's open to the rest of us, masterclasses will be available for amateurs earlier on in the day from two time Guinness world record oyster shucker Paddy McMurray from Toronto and Canada, he will judge the competition on the night, the event includes a sparkling oyster reception, the evening's entertainment, a selection of finest seafood light bites and canapes and a complimentary drinks, so if you're a fan of your seafood, if you like your oysters, I know oysters in Guinness is something very popular further up the country but maybe you might have a, an oyster and Beamish, uh, I'm not sure, since you're down in the Rebel Account D, but either way we will have a pair of tickets to give away, we'll be opening the lines for that later on in the programme so don't call in now, we'll be opening the lines uh, closer to the end of the programme Saturday the 19th of August you have to be free on Saturday the 19th from 7 o'clock and we will have those tickets for you, we'll have a host of other things to give away, courtesy of our friends at Cork and a Fork and amazing work they do and it really does show that you know, we, as I said we talk about our city being a real foodie you know, capital of the country Well, the guys in Cork and a Fork are, are really making that happen to your texts I uh, want to send a congratulations to my husband Peter for his birthday we listen to the program every day. Um, happy birthday, Peter. I also noticed that the texter has generously left out the age uh, of Peter, so I won't go uh, down that line. But a very happy birthday, Peter. Uh, glad for listening in. Thank you very much. Um, somebody says, great news regarding the weather. We better get the Factor 50 out for Wednesday and Thursday. Well, definitely on the Wednesday, temperatures up to 24 degrees. You might need the old Factor 50 for that um, Thursday so it's always good to wear a sunscreen, as Baz Lerman uh, once said. Uh, on a conversation with Colin Sutton regarding uh, the conviction of No Long for the murder of Nora Sheehan back in 1981, he said the mainland doesn't apply to Ireland. We're a sovereign, independent state. True, we are. But... That's not to say that we can't take lessons from a man who has an extremely wide range of experience when it comes to finding cold case killers and finding murders and finding these vermin on our streets and putting them behind bars. Uh, Another texter says, why do ye bring on English experts? Sure, the English are notorious for locking up the wrong people. A guy was released yesterday, uh, uh, recently after doing 14 years for something he didn't do. That indeed is the case of Andrew uh, Malkinson. He was uh, accused on indeed uh, convicted of a rape um, 14, uh, 17 years ago and was uh, sent to prison and he's now being cleared his name is being cleared so no certainly not they're not the experts in any way shape or form across the board but certainly Colin Sutton is a man who knows what it takes to put um, absolute horrendous people the likes of no Long um, behind bars after some of the, the vicious uh, crimes that they have committed um, somebody says Can Congratulations to the Cork ladies on a terrific display in the Camogie final on Sunday. But the men's side of things in the county board should hang their heads in shame. They held championship matches on the same day Cork were playing in an All Ireland Camogie final. Will things ever change. Thank you so much for the text and yes, absolutely absolutely there should have not been any championship, there shouldn't even been any league games. I mean, when you see the men are in an All-Ireland, uh, if men were to make an All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship final, which we very much hope will happen this next year along with the footballers, you wouldn't see Camogie Championship games on at the same time, you would see the Cork Camogie board suspending games and saying, look we want to give everybody an opportunity to make it up to Crow Park to, to give the, the lads as big of a push as they possibly could and And uh, yeah, I mean, the same should apply in reverse. Absolutely. You want as many people up supporting a Cork team. And this is why when I was talking about the homecoming, I was saying about you know the, the this matters it doesn't it, it's no longer you know as it was kind of considered before well it matters to the players and it's great for the players and great for the management and great for this is great for Cork this is a huge win for Cork and we should be celebrating it absolutely in the same way that we would if it was male or female or anything else it should be totally considered uh, absolutely the same But we should be massively uh, proud of them and we should have there should have been uh, championship games like you can't tell me that men's senior championship club games are more important than all Ireland Camogie final you just you just cannot convince me of that Cork are playing in an All-Ireland Championship final that is the most important thing be all and end all. Um, and finally just saying that the, I heard that the Guardi boxed the car in by new, the new footbridge uh, can't understand the response by the press office. Now I would love to see footage of that I didn't see it um, on the video but if that's the case then fair play to those Guardi for doing it because that is not an easy thing to do. And again I am very conscious that sometimes we can be you know, accused of Garda bashing on this programme and we do have people who are very close to Guardi who we you know, very much appreciate their input but at the same time we have to be fair and you have to Reflect what people are saying. And when people are seeing videos of, you know, this car, whether, you know, I don't want to speculate on why it was heading down the wrong direction, but for whatever reason, flying down the inside lane in the link. And when you ask about it, well, they say, look, we, we actually don't have anything on our records. I don't know. It just does make you wonder. But look, if that's the case, I'm always happy to be corrected.
2: Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's red.
1: John, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. You have experienced this yourself in terms of a car driving down at you the wrong way around the road. Tell us.
5: Yeah, I mean it's about a year ago, there I was uh, traveling up to Dublin, and um, I met uh, a car coming against me. You know, just beyond Mitchell's down there. And um, as the man said before, you don't believe it's happening when it's happening. You know. Uh, yeah.
1: What's what's what is what's the first like? What is the first reaction when you when you see it. like is it the headlights what's the first thing that makes you realise I could be in trouble here
5: yeah uh, it's like you don't believe it you know it's, is this really happening and um, you know you just know you know then suddenly it clicks in you know there's, there's something sort of crazy going on here you
1: know yeah. how long uh, would you say you have to react to it
5: oh yeah I mean well I had a bit of time you know because it was a straight but i mean a lot of the motorway is curbed, you know so you might have as much time you know mm. but um i was i saw him like you know from a couple of hundred meters away coming down the opposite side to me like you know and,
1: and do you think it was a case of a, do you think it was a case of a mistake by him or was it intentional yeah you... yeah for sure yeah. yeah i think um well you know
5: there's some people I think, you know haven't are used to motorway um, maybe it's a generational thing I think you know but um, I, I don't know exactly what happened or why how he managed to get on in the first place but um, uh, the point I was really making uh, there was that um, it's very important that people drive on the left hand side of the motorway you know and a lot of people tend to drive on the right hand side and stay out there like because they think maybe they're overtaking more cars or they're going to get to where they're going faster or you know but, um, the right-hand lane is really for overtaking. And like, if this happens, somebody comes down, they'll be coming down like against you. And, uh, the risk of a head-on collision is, you know, is very, very, very much on. But if you stay in the left-hand lane, like I was, you know, there that day, now I was thinking, well, you know, he just sailed past me on the other side, um, but if I had been out on the right hand side overtaking somebody, of course it, it would be a big trouble. You and, know? and you
1: did flash—you flashed your lights, you beeped your oh, horn. I you... did, yeah, I did. Yeah,
5: and um, I did. But um, now he was—he's was on his own world, you know. He sailed along down on the opposite side to me, you know.
1: Totally in his own world, um, totally oblivious to the fact that
5: sort of oblivious. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but um, the main thing is, I think people should need to remember like that the right hand lane is only for overtaking not to stay out there because if a guy comes down the wrong side of the motorway he's going to be coming di- directly against you you know
1: yeah I, that, look that is uh, it's, I'm glad you touched on it because it's a pet it's actually a pet peeve of mine you know when people call it the fast lane and the slow lane it's not yeah, it's not yeah. the fast lane and the slow lane it's it's no. an overtaking lane you know yeah and um, I mean it's an overtaking lane and um
5: you could you could actually save yourself, you know. I mean, if this if this guy because people coming down against you will all will be on the left hand side because we drive on the left, you know. Yeah. So
1: they're going to be definitely in that lane. And and, uh, and you, like you, you obviously you said it happened outside, uh, Mitchellstown, That's not that far away where we saw that tragic incident only last month. Actually, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, and um, you know,
5: I, I mean, I, I'm just wondering: is there a If there's some kink in the roadway there that they're able to get in or, you know, I don't know, you know, but obviously you just drive down the, um, tried to opposite
2: on the the off ramp, you know.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and what? Look, uh, what was your? Because I, I look, I'm I'm going to bring in Tina here. She's on line three. But yeah, what was your initial feeling like when you when you realized that was happening? What was the What was the kind of like? Was it a, Was it a panic? Was it a fear? Was it Was were you Were you kind of stunned? Like well, like I just well, it's never happened to me. So I'd I'd love to know what kind of the like you know the the, the kind of chain of events that kicks off when you realize yeah. that's happening.
5: Well, it's like. Um, i uh, I don't want to curse the air, but I mean holy <laughs> 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 yeah
1: Zoot, uh, I think uh, the French would uh, say
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's basically a re- reaction i know this really happening, you know but uh, uh and, and, and you know, I pulled up straight away, I got such a fright, I just had to stop, you know, pull yeah. in, and uh, I think I rang the guards uh, the, and that's another thing you know I didn't find the guard number i mean i mean i i, I can't don't believe it people should be criticizing the Guardian because I mean, nobody is going to know that unless somebody contacts the Guardi, you know, oh, you yeah, can't yeah. be expected to know
1: everything, you know? No, absolutely. I suppose the only reason yeah. we, we were mentioning it, it was the context in which this video was being shared around social media and yeah. you know, it seemed like a very high profile like happening on the N forty. It it was just surprising to me that when we got the response yeah. to say they hadn't had it on. Now, that could be different. We could contact them this morning, that might have changed, but just as of the weekend that's what we got. Like the guards yeah. say the same thing, you should always drive in the less lane unless you need to overtake the RSA say the same thing you should only use the right lane for overtaking because it is something that we see all the time i mean you see fellas and oh yeah. well what, what speed they're doing is a totally different conversation altogether. Yeah. but you see guys and they are just flying along the inside lane as if yeah. it's basically yeah. some sort of like as if they're all they have their own personal uh, kind of d- yeah. lane to, to to take over yeah. well to just remember now with people that do that
5: it could be somebody coming right against you and um, you won't even think it, you know, and suddenly it's chaos, you know. And, um, but uh, the other thing as well is that the, guard, the uh, traffic corps, you know, the guys on the motorbike, I mm. think they, they, they've been cut back big time, you know, so you don't see them out on the motorway
1: Like you would before, I think you know. It seem it seems like, and I know that this is a a big issue. Drew Harris, certainly, you know, the G R A are a lot loggerheads with Drew Harris over their conditions and the the hours that they're kind of the the days on and days off. And it it seems like, and I I do have an enormous amount, and I think everybody on this on this program has an enormous amount of sympathy for Gardy in terms of like they're kind of being pushed from pillar to post, they're all being stretched and then, yeah. you know, they're seeing crime rates rising and then, you know, I know yeah. people have been in touch with us saying then you're just criticizing them on the air and like, it's like they're being kicked yeah. from every side.
5: But I mean, the, 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 truth, the truth about it, Kevin, is that, I mean, um the guard Training College was closed for over two years uh, during COVID so there was no guards trained. So, I mean, with all the guards... Retiring and no new guards being trained and coming on, um, this is where the problem arose originally. You know, so we're we're in a big, a big deficit of guardy
1: You know, but uh, I suppose those in. Those in disagreement would say, where are all those guardies we saw for COVID checkpoints? Like, where are all those ones that we saw rolled out? They were saying we've all these whole new right range, you know, we're going to have gardie out in the streets checkpointing. Yeah. And as somebody who was at the time working in Waterford driving up and down to Cork, I mean, I yeah. was being stopped six or seven times in different roundabouts. What what has happened to those Gardy now? Why aren't they out there being able to police? Because we're yeah. being told that Gardy are leaving the force because they're not being able to police because of all the, the, the paperwork that they have to do. I believe that, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I mean, I just, I, I, but I mean, we can see it,
5: I mean, but I mean, then I look at uh, the paper today and I see that they've, um, the police, the guard drug spot, you know, seized um, nearly five billion
1: worth of cocaine mm-hmm. down in the skiddy, you know, mm-hmm. from, to it yeah. was in I think it was in Dunkettle to uh, Albanians yeah. and uh, and the Romanian yeah, yeah certainly they they're yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're held in custody to be sentencing yeah it's um, so um, it's anyway
5: uh, I mean you know you have to give credit where credit is due like I mean there's probably a lot of police work gone on to that like you know done to get the, those fellas um, you know if they're. Mm-hmm. Um, to find them. Stepping you know, out of line, uh, yeah.
1: Thanks, John. So, look, overtaking the right, yep. driving the left. There's no such thing as a fast lane and slow lane. It's absolute nonsense, John. John, yeah. thanks. <laughs> thanks for taking the call. Um, Tina, you say this seems to be a done thing.
6: Well, it seems to be. Um, yeah, uh, I was coming from Dublin um, on. Sunday morning the 23rd of July Mm. um, coming home from holidays our flight was delayed Um, so myself, my husband and two kids in the car um, and we were travelling the N7 so Dublin to Limerick route and when we came on I think it was about Junction 26 um, there was a car driving up the wrong side again
1: where where's we that junction twenty six,
6: Junction twenty six is around the Nina, The Nina exit.
1: Okay. Oh, that's Neenah. the road that's the road back to Limerick, is it? From from, it from is, Dublin, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the continuation um, of the M seven, yeah.
6: Yeah, so instead of turning off for Cork, we continued on towards Limerick. Mm. Um now again the car was on the right hand side coming up or our side uh, we were on the left so my husband flashed and beeped. Now as you can imagine it's 3 o'clock in the morning so the road is quiet um, so he just wanted to alert them they were on the wrong yeah, side of course. Yeah. and they turned around on the road and came after us and tried to run us off the road
1: You are joking me Yeah,
6: yeah, now um, Oh my god tried to push us in, like kept veering in, trying to get us into the barrier. Now the so car they, so was... So
1: well, this was when they were travelling towards you or they went past you and turned around and, and tried when to... When ha-
6: they went past I think the fact that my husband, uh, he probably just irritated them by flashing and beeping the horn they just decided, oh look we'll, we'll go for these. Oh my gosh. Because there's no one in their right mind would have done it. Um... Now, my husband just put the boot down and drove and he got away from them, but they were obviously up to no good. I mean, three o'clock ah, in the morning, trying to
1: try and and, drive us off the road. And, and so they were trying to, so they, essentially they were trying to come up next to you and, and trying to just eat, basically kind of ram you into the side of That's, one of the barriers. Yeah, they yeah.
6: were, so basically their passenger door was nearly hitting the driver door of our car. My
1: God, that is absolutely yeah. terrifying.
6: Um, now, like that. They had their full headlights on, so we got no reg number. The car, all I know, it was black and all blackout windows. So there could have been one in the car or five. You couldn't see into their car.
7: I just. So, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, we we you must have, like because obviously you're 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 very familiar with this, this 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 our tragic situation last month in Mitchellstown. Uh,
6: yeah. In Mitchellstown, yeah.
1: Like that's just. Absolutely terrifying. It's, oh, it's like a kamikaze mission.
6: Uh, yeah, I actually thought I was in a, a horror movie because I kept looking out the back window and my son said the same thing. We just kept looking out to see with the lights coming on behind us again.
1: And how old is your son, teenage? you mind me asking? He
6: is 17. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Oh my God, a teenage son in the car. Could you, could you, could you imagine the headlines?
6: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Holiday tragedy. And do you know something they could have said, Oh, he fell asleep and veered off the road. Do you know no, no, because that yeah. car would have obviously drove off if they if God,
1: they got us. That is terrible. So, and, yeah. And oh, did he like so so you you said your husband put the boot down and then, and then what?
6: He put the boot down. Uh now we rang the guards um like that. Do you know, the the guards aren't allowed at this stage, I'd say, go down the Chase a car down the other side of the
1: motorway anyway. Yeah. Well, that that was know, what we like heard. Their in, hands, in, yeah, their hands are tied. Their are tied, hands are
6: tied like, mm-hmm. you know, it's
1: crazy. And then, and then you hear the story of Gardy trying to chase, like, obviously that hasn't yet to go to trial, but you hear the story of Gardy trying to chase, you know, these, I suppose, known criminals in Dublin and now you know, up on a dangerous driving charge and look, I don't want to get into the specifics yeah. of the case or comment on the, yeah. but it does make you wonder how difficult it is for the guardian and whether, like, you know are our motorways now safe places to drive, because you would say to statistically yes, but when you hear stories the likes of yours, especially yeah. at night yeah. At night,
6: I've like, I have, I don't think I'd ever drive it at night again,
1: after that Yeah and especially
6: you. on my own, now it was, you know, my husband is an experienced driver and, you know, he'd, he knew how to get out of a situation like that. But if it was me driving, I, I obviously would have been inside sure. the, the barrier.
1: But could you imagine even like somebody on an end plate who's only just recently passed their tests on the motorway yeah. and driving home and they decided to drive home at night because the motorways were quiet and all of a sudden the they come up against come up against yep. these, I don't even know I don't, I don't know what the word is to describe people like that.
6: Yeah, I don't, like 3 o'clock in the morning, it was yeah,
1: God, So they, they, did they just give up?
6: They we got away, we didn't see the lights now, unless they veered off for um, the Nina exit they, that's the only other option they would have had, because they didn't now my husband
1: did put the boot down to be honest <laughs> so. oh, but sure like I, I don't and i don't think anybody would i don't think anybody would uh would you know like i could correct him in that you know what i mean like in that situation yeah. like he's thinking about what, what he is now is he is in survival mode when that happens uh, like uh, he yeah. he's in the, i'm trying to protect myself and my family uh, yeah
6: yeah, that was it
1: so that's yeah, just, that I, just I just can't believe, I just, I mean, you hear stories of this happening and obviously, look, it does happen because we're seeing it, but that is absolutely, that's just absolutely terrifying. And I mean, like when you're flashing somebody you're trying to get them to stop, you're doing that out of the courtesy of making sure that they don't have an accident themselves. If they or that,
6: don't have, yeah, because my husband was saying maybe it was an elderly person that got confused or, you know, yeah. just alert them and No. No, they turned and came for us.
1: Yeah. And the the irony of you know there being average speed cameras, the first average speed cameras in the country being put down near. I know that on that motorway near Nina. Yes. So if yeah. your husband had put the boot down, I don't know now will he end up with yes. a with a speeding <laughs> ticket from the average speed cameras? It's... Uh,
6: do you know something? I didn't think of that. he probably winning know at
1: this stage. <laughs> sure. Look, it's um, I'm sure, I'm sure it's something that can be overturned. Tina, look, thank you so much. Um, and look, I I prayed and nothing will like that would ever happen to you again. Um, uh, yeah. and, and fair play to your husband for for keeping for I suppose keeping cool and keeping focused and get and getting ourselves you. out of that situation. Yes.
6: Yeah. Oh I was glad to see my front door
1: that night. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine my God. Tina, thank you so much. And look if you have any other stories of you know, driving on the motorway, some of the things you've seen, I mean, some of the things I have seen on the motorway recently. And let's, let's not forget about, you know, the truck on a truck on a truck on a truck that hit the, that hit the Jack Lynch tunnel. It's, it's, it's just, it, it is a, it's almost like the Wild West, um, out there. And I, I just, some of the, some of the stuff that's going on, it's absolutely crazy. But, but certainly look, if you, uh, if you've experienced it, do get in touch, uh, do give us a, a phone. It's 0818104106. You can text us. Oh eight six eight one oh four. 0868104. 106, so uh, do get in touch, you can text us or WhatsApp on that
2: Get it off your chest, text the Neil Brindaville Show now, 086 8104 106 Red FM
1: That is indeed the magic number, if you want to get us you can also phone us, 0818 104 or email neil at redfm.ie Now we've been speaking a lot about houses on this show recently about, I suppose you would say, the haves and have-nots, um, but the Echo has a headline today, Martin Mondo looking at some of the developments taking place across the city and county 753 houses in total in the pipeline for Cork how many of those will actually come to fruition, uh, not entirely sure but certainly one site uh, just outside the city that has been earmarked is that of Sunset Ridge or, or at least the former Sunset Ridge Hotel in Killeens uh, now I'm joined on the phone by Robert Harkin of Harkin and Associates in Bellarney Robin, uh, Robert should I say, you um, have <laughs> been on in a previous uh, capacity uh, with the Cork Summer Show, but but delighted to have you with us. Um, this uh, this development in Killines, I suppose this has really been an eyesore in the area for
8: quite some time, hasn't it? Good morning, Kevin. Yes, it has. Unfortunately, um, the hotel ceased to trade um, of oh, maybe 14, 15 years ago. And before that, it was a phenomenal family-run hotel, ran incredibly well by the Cronin family. Um, my own brother had his twenty-first birthday party, and that wasn't uh, today or yesterday, so. It wasn't. So, and he's looking at sixty. So, I can tell you, it's uh, it's 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 been around forever. But um, it, it closed, and unfortunately unfortunately fell into dereliction. Um and you know we went through the downturn and very little happened with the with, with the property, but um we've been working with um um Cork city council and a, and a company called Oshwat um who applied for ultimately applied for planning on the property and that process took some time as as, as everybody knows the planning process is difficult and um but it it, it we, we we ultimately got planning there uh, just sometime a little bit earlier there, um ultimate planning in in in, in uh, at the end of April so uh, the plans are afoot now to um, um, organise the demolition of the building and uh, it's a, a proceed to construction like it just doesn't happen overnight but it, it, it's, all, it, it, it's moving now thank god
1: 43 residential units um, 4 1 bed duplex apartments 17 2 bed terraces 2 2 bed semi-detached three, uh, 10 3 bed end of terraces and 10 3 bed mid terraces as well um, but also I suppose for those who are living there are Ready? Um, there's of shops. There's there's obviously medical consulting rooms. There's you know there's a whole host of services in there. Um, can I ask you though, Robert, about the the makeup of those sixty seven houses? Because look, I was 43. out. Forty three. Sorry, forty three. Oh, Sorry, my apologies. Case, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, my apologies. Sorry, forty three houses or forty three at least units. Um, like I've been looking in the area myself. I've been speaking to auctioneers in the area. They're telling me that Killeen's is pretty much at capacity when it comes to social housing. What is the makeup of this of this new development in Killeen's?
8: So look, every every scheme now has um, by law a twenty percent social element to it. That's you know that's that that is just the nature of um, or that is just planning laws. Now it was ten percent, and that changed um, sometime um, last year uh, for new planning. So without fail, twenty percent of of every scheme, no matter where it is, 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 is social. That houses. is dependent
1: on the amount of houses, the units that are involved, is it? Is it over six right. or oh, over oh, seven? Oh, I
8: think that's right. Under yeah. ten, yeah, yeah you like right. you can't give one and a half houses. So <laughs> it's it, yeah, so it, it, it's twenty percent so um, so anything over 10 yeah a- a- absolutely Okay, uh,
1: but in terms of this development because look I mean you're obviously very aware that we had residents of Killeen's barricading in the new development down there in terms of the amount of they say they wanted it more fairly distributed they say they want more private renters and because somebody who's trying to buy you're. I'm being told by auctioneers that not only am I bidding against other people but I'm now bidding against the council as well
8: um to be fair i i i like I have to say like we 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 look after a lot of new developments when when we have them and we look after a lot of second hand houses the the council in general don't bid against buyers on on second hand houses. You know, like, to be fair, they're not the people that come in and outbid a first-time buyer couple uh, struggling to get on the property ladder. So I'd have to say we've never experienced that the council have come along and tried to outbid somebody. Um, They would question you and ask you if there's other bidders there, they would back off it. You know, I suppose they're coming along the route of now trying to buy new houses and Mm -hmm. new schemes. Um, And I suppose we went through a starvation period of of no construction literally from late 2000. 2008, 2009, right through to maybe 2018. So we, we've had 10 years of of minimal uh, construction. And it takes some time from uh, starting a site, getting planning permission, starting a site, to actually handing over a house. Dare I say it, it's almost three years for that process to, to, to happen. And, and sometimes longer if, if you go to board Planola. We have a huge issue now with um people objecting to uh once stuff has gone through uh, planning has gone through board planola that people are now taking judicial reviews and, and they're perfectly entitled to do so. But it, it is causing a huge issue. I you, you mentioned there are around about seven hundred and sixty three houses. Within the Blarney area recently, or only recently, Clareau and and Blarney um we have over 300 houses that were passed by board planala um under SHDs, which is strategic housing development um that locals, residents in, 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 in from both areas have, have taken judicial reviews, have gone to the courts and have had these decisions overturned. Yeah, uh, uh, but is, It's, it's a very difficult for, for, from, uh, from a builder and a point of view um, and, and providing houses when this happens. So the process is very complicated and I'm not sure how that's going to, I, you and I aren't going to resolve that, but that, that is a big issue for, for, yeah. for, for government. Uh, I,
1: I do appreciate that but then on the, the other side you're hearing from residents, especially and we're talking about Colleen's here and it's why I was asking you about the makeup of this the, the these units because they're saying that like, basically there's there's a huge amount of building going on here there's, none of them are going to private, there's nobody being able to bid for them so basically what we're getting is everybody that's on the council list or on the council housing list is being sent out to Colleen's.
8: that's a kind of a broad statement I suppose to be fair and this isn't my site Darden aside the site in the Sunser Ridge it's the the remains of a a site that was started in um, I'm going to say 2006 or 2007 Um, and to be fair to the residents there we've sold sold those properties new and we sold but the the remainder of that site was bought by a company and I suppose you know back in 2017-18 there was a huge like funding for builders was was very limited um, and there was a huge demand for social housing so uh, I think that's where that arrangement came out of you know I, I it's something we, we were not involved in it but I, I've, I've been observing what has been going on there um, I think to be fair to the residents of Killeen's, you know, we're living in an all-inclusive society now. We we have to have social housing, you know, people like our our, our require housing. So, yes, there has to be a mix all over, you know, but so a lot of of Killeen's, like I would say 90% of Killeen's is is private. So, you know, this has just happened to be a new scheme of houses that I think there's 20 odd units in it, that were a uh, deal was done with Doma Cork City Council to purchase those.
1: Do we have a just to get back to that figure in terms of this site at, at, at uh, Sunset Ridge? Do we have a figure? Uh, will will any of these uh, units be on the private market, or do we do we know yet what the makeup oh, of I, it will I, be? I,
8: I, I, we don't know the makeup of it yet, but I, I, I can I can absolutely state categorically that twenty percent of them will be social. You know, eighty percent of them won't be social. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, like so, like that, that. That's the makeup of it. We haven't, we, you know, we haven't. So, like, I, I, again, we're only the auctioneering firm in, involved with them, mm. and hopefully, will we will have the sale of them in in, in the future. Um, but you know, it's it, it's very early days. Yes, uh, on that, it'll be probably sometime um, next February, March, before you know decisions are made about going to the market because construction w- w- takes quite some time to get up and running um, with services, etc., etc., yes. and you know, and, and, and all of that pre planning stuff that uh, that uh, pre construction that
1: has to happen uh, look and as you were saying about services like I mean as, as I have been house hunting in the area um, so I can testify to this um, the councillor Fine councillor Damien Boylan the uh, like killings is a, a place of huge potential it's great it's brilliantly situated and um, you have a gorgeous like walk along the lake that takes you into Blarney town itself um, it's just outside town I mean you're on a you're on a city bus line so in terms of an area to live in it's it is
8: it's 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 a superb place to live, isn't it? It's, uh, it it Killeen's fantastic. Uh, Kevin, I have to put my hand up. I'm, I'm from Blarney all my life. My dad was a garden Blarney. They're, we're we in Blarney since uh, 62, 1962. So we know every inch of it. And a lot of my school friends came from Killeen's, from the countryside back then. We we were involved in the in the first few schemes there, Shannon Boher and this uh, Cara and um, Carry Grua back in the day when that, they were the first new houses really to go into into Killeen's in the in the late 2005, six sevens. Um, and then there was very little as happened there since. Um, so it is. It, it's fantastic. Like it's situated the two one five bus. It's on the two one five bus roof, which is every thirty minutes to, from Claro to, to, to Mahan Point. So it's, it's a fantastic um, location. And then Blackpool Shopping Centre is five or six minutes away away from it. Do you know, back in the day, there used to be a very nice shop in, in Killeen's and so on. But you know, times have changed. As suppose, with supermarkets and filling stations with big centric area shops attached to them. So you know, smaller locations like that, I find it difficult to just sustain. The shop, but you know, on either side of it, left or right of it, Blarney and and, and Blackpool are, are all within five six minutes commute of it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And look, I suppose you know, as uh, as an area, it must. I, know, look, I suppose as somebody who is local to the area. You will be no doubt very keen to to develop or, or to, to sell these units because, like Sunset Ridge, has been. You know, it's it was obviously as you say such a fantastic hotel in its day, but. It's such an eyesore in an area and it must be kind of a, a
8: it's, it's a bit of a, it's, it's a huge shame really that it's been left to the You know, but look, the unfortunate part is the downturn affected so many, there was just no money in the country for, for to, to, to maintain or to, you know, to protect any of these sort of buildings. You can travel all over. Ireland, never mind County Cork, but there are so many of these buildings that just fell into disrepair uh, because of the lack of money um, being pumped into them. And, and, you know, nobody can change that now that the country has, uh, you know, they, they say it's a wash of money, but that's, that's incorrect to say that. You know, some of the, probably the major companies are a wash of money, but in, in general, people aren't a wash of money, but, but builders are now starting to put their head above the parapet and, and and try to build like the level that and the cost of construction has, as anyone will know who goes to their DIY store to buy a door lock, will see the cost of, of product now, and you know labor is difficult. So it is quite hard for the the, the builders to actually to pull teams together to actually get construction completed. You know, um, we we lost a huge amount of trades uh, during the downturn. People stopped, you know, becoming apprentices. So and that's a four-year or five-year process to to, to qualify an electrician or a co- qualify a carpenter. Those people went. And work for the larger companies. They stayed indoors in the warm, out, out of the waste. You know, so it's it's, it's we've we we it's you know it's a huge um, task uh, for for the ministers and for the government yeah. to to try and turn around construction and and, and have production going. You know, yeah. And we, I look,
1: and I suppose it's like even we're looking now. just landlords are. F- <laughs> it seems like, and I, I don't know whether you will be able to verify this or not, but. I've been to it's twenty five thirty house viewings in the last couple of weeks even and not only is the price of houses even in the last two months just like our houses that are selling for for 280 I was looking at Middleton they're now going for three ten, three fifteen. houses in Killeen's are going at you know like a two bed semi in Killeen's, went recently to a 355 I think um we're seeing landlords essentially kind of fleeing the market now they're selling up on the, it's, they're they're getting out of the buying market so what is it what is the landscape now looking for in terms of where you are in in, in Killeen's and in Blarney no, I,
8: I, I suppose I, I go back to, you know, like the Cloro site and there was another site in Blarney, in, in, in Suddenbury and Blarney, both with planning permissions for 200 units and 120 units that, you know, builders were ready to, to roll into these sites to provide these pro- properties. And we ended up with, with objectors, um, not a whole lot of locals, but a number of locals that just, you know, who live in the area and, um, and, and and these went to uh, for a judicial review and overturned the decision so it means they're back at starting again with their with their application to try and, and get to a planning commission. the land is zoned is serviced Cork County Cork City Council Cork County Council previously would have zoned these lands and it would, you know so that that has to be looked at to try and speed up production you you know okay, that, can that, I, that, can that, I ask
1: you a, uh, yeah. I was sorry just and just on a very i suppose people are seeing look, I'm going to use cargo lines as an example and I don't want to you know, I don't want to stick the boot and cargo line or or anything. But what people are seeing is they're seeing brand new massive housing developments going in and they're seeing very little services provided. So what they're seeing is these huge amount of population arriving, very little to cater for them. And that ends up that ends up leading to to anti-social behaviour because you have kids who are hanging around who have nothing to do. They have nothing provided for them. I mean, is there not an onus, I suppose, when we talk about development and certainly when it comes to the big housing development to make sure that that you know all because a, a lot of those local residents concerns aren't necessarily with I don't want a house well some of it maybe I don't want a house in my back garden but a lot of it comes down to like it's going to put a huge amount of pressure on services that are already creaking so is is you know is that not a kind of a, a, should there not be a question there about how many services do we need to have in place before we bring in up housing as opposed to just parachuting you know hundreds of housing schemes and saying well it's great we have all these units in this area but then not having really any services for those people when they arrive
8: no, if, uh, absolutely. They have to run in tandem. But I, I suppose, you know, without the people, you can't have the services. And without the services, you can't have the people. So they have to come together. You know, we, we, you can't provide a school for a thousand people if you have not a thousand children to go into it. So, you, you know... You, it's, it's, I won't say it's a chicken and egg situation which comes first but you need the money you need the people living in the area to spend the money in the area for the services to grow you know and, and to stop you know we say you go to smaller villages when there's, when there's lesser people living them you know you see rural shops closing rural pubs closing post offices closing because they don't have enough of income money coming over the counter to sustain these so you have to have the people first for the services to, to follow um, but they should follow very shortly afterwards. Just for example, that little clean's development, that's only a small development of 43 units. There is a, a small commercial element, not a big commercial element, because it would, it's not sustainable to have a hairdressers, a barber's a shop, you know, and, and other bits mm. and pieces in there. It, it just because you, you want the throughput of customers for it, but a chemist shop is, 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 is part of is what they're talking about, and, and a possible medical facility. Um, if, if that will work there as such,
1: yeah, you would. You would hope. I mean, I'd say Killeen's isn't that far away from having at least a small shop in there to, to cater for the people because it has grown significantly in terms of its population in the last in the last ten to fifteen it, years. It
8: has. But Kevin, I, I'm going to say we are involved in another scheme in an area where um, you know, and there was probably two hundred, maybe two hundred and fifty houses went in there over the last ten years, and and the shop that was there was. I, I'm going to say, and this is probably, but out know, out of school, donated uh, to the community to run it as a shop, no rent, no anything, and it's unsustainable. It was unsustainable because yeah. the difficulty is people go to the bigger supermarkets for their shopping, they go to the filling stations when they're getting diesel or petrol or, you know, whatever they're getting um, and they buy their few bits and pieces of their fresh milk or whatever. Do you know, there was an article over the weekend about, is it somewhere, like that a lot of sh- shops have stopped doing newspapers because you know, the tradition of buying a newspaper and a bottle of milk and a slice of and a, a loaf of bread in the morning is gone because people don't do that anymore, you know, like they, they read their papers online, their milk is delivered and they, you know, they buy their bread in their weekly shop, yeah. so it's it's it, it, so a small shop, and the difficulty is if you go down to get something and it's not there, you won't go and get other bits, you yeah, know. So yeah, you know, they don't, so there's, yeah, there's, there's yeah. Two, So supermarkets have taken over from and Lidl's and Aldi's and Super Values and everything else uh, you know even like the small Mesa, like they, they have everything when you go there yeah. so uh, a small shop is is, is difficult you know for, for, for to survive in these locations and as much as we'd love to have one that I can pop down for a bottle of milk if I forget it at 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock at night it's not there that's why the filling stations are open 24 hours a day now nearly you know to, to yeah. do this sort yeah. of thing
1: and, and just, just finally Robert before I leave you go like we were speaking to I suppose a counterpart or Shane Finn from DNG Creed and Finn O 'Connor down in Douglas, and yes. they have a development on waterfall. He was saying Our that people it, were yeah. yeah, and they were sleeping yeah. in their cars, like to get it That's, I mean, I mean I, is that where we 're at now when it
8: comes to first time buyers? You know and I'd say, to be fair to, to, to the developer there and, and to um, Shane and, and, and his company, you know that, that wasn't by any intention. no one wants that high buy, we 'd love to have houses for everybody that rings us. You know like that we would we would love to be able to say, yeah, we have a house in that development for you. we have a house in that development for you. but there's been such a lack of housing over the last ten years or twelve years because of the downturn that you know construction just wasn't feasible as such um and now that it's 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 only split feeding onto the market because it's only able to get you know like from from start to finish is a three-year process we've really only started this process probably in 18 or 19 you know and then we've but, of, but, it but, it, but in so, terms of people yeah.
1: who are who are buying now like are, are, would your advice be second-hand would your advice be hold out for a new development like where because people yeah. are finding that the, the clock is ticking and the prices are only going in one yeah, direction
8: yeah, so the clock is ticking. Definitely, like in that you know, um, from that there isn't enough of houses to go. Our population has increased. You know, we're we're we we're going well over five million, heading for six million. Like, and we can't. So the actual construction of houses and provision there is still only a certain amount of houses in the country. Second hand, and we find that people are not. You know, and it's it's more so in the bigger areas like Cork and Limerick and Dublin and Galway that people don't want to move out of those areas they want to, to move into those areas so you have more competition for the properties that are there is a difficulty you, you know there, gets, there isn't that many houses for sale in any one area at any one time because people are not moving from them we see a lot of people put on extensions converting attics etc because they're happy with their schools they're happy with their bus routes they're happy with everything else so why would they move that's the, that's the biggest issue yeah
1: Robert Harkin of Harkin uh, Associates in Balernie. Um Robert thanks so much for joining us on the phone not at all. Thank
8: you, Kevin.
2: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106.
1: Red FM. Indeed it is. The Neil Prenderville Show. You can text us 0868 as you heard. Or you can phone us 0818 Or indeed email us at neil at redfm.ie. If you're at work and you don't want to get caught on the phone, that's a great way of getting in touch with us. Um, just want to remind you again, we have a great competition today and all this week, courtesy of our friends on... You know, at, uh, Cork and a Fork. Um, as I said, we're a real foodie country here, uh, foodie city, and they will see the city transformed into one big food festival for the week. Loads going on, tasting trails, cooking demos, masterclasses, street events, symposiums, uh, talks, dining experiences and specials. And we have a pair of tickets to the Cork Oyster Shocking Championship that'll take place on Saturday the 19th of August from seven o'clock. So do keep an ear out for that uh, in the next Next hour
2: now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. The Neil
1: Prenderville Show is on indeed. It's Kevin Galvin sitting in for Neil on this Tuesday, the 8th of August, Tuesday following the bank holiday weekend. And we were talking just before the hour with Robert Harkin from Harkin Associates about development. Jim Hearn, you're online too. You have something to add to this conversation,
0: Kevin. How are you, boy? Very good. Just to think, you know, one of the comments that Robert made earlier, you know, about the Minister having an interest in apprentices in the city, and we're back to it again. I suppose we seem to be talking about it for years, and it's going nowhere. Um, I see a problem there with the big builders now, like the likes of PJs and all those other big builders, even the likes of Bam there. They're not apprentice-friendly, or they don't have apprentices. They don't have to, because they've, become, they've just become big businesses, turning over and becoming developers, so they don't have any requirements. Just high-end subcontractors, so our approach is. Um group is falling apart because
1: of it, you know? Yeah, we're, well, look, we've been hearing over the last couple of months, I'm sure you're well aware, Mother's Day saying that my son, he wants to go into the trade. I mean, it, first of all, everybody is essentially being told, go to college, that's the only way to make a living for yourself, because we're trying to force everybody into pharmaceuticals and into IT and that sector. That's certainly what yeah. I was told when I was growing up. But then, if you do have a real passion for the trade, and you want to get into it, then you're being told, sorry, there's nowhere for you to go.
0: Well, and, and especially, now, would say, July and August are the big uh, two months in our industry that apprentices start. You know, they're just out of school. The results are coming up. And by September, they should be actually put in somewhere, but it's not there from. Um, and we've had minister and minister and government and government trying to deal with this, and they just fail Um what one solution I'll give it to you, and you can try challenge any minister on this, is that uh, we need to take at least 1% levy on all construction off the big builders, the likes of PJ Hercules, SISC, BAM, um, DSP, the whole lot, all these big employers, right? And that 1% should be filtered directly into apprentices. Um, it, it, all of a sudden, now you have money in the pot, and you'll see there'll be a huge
1: interest now in taking the apprentices. But it's not just money though, Jim, is it? It's opportunity really is the thing here.
0: It's money as well. Like if you've got, um, we we'll say we'll even come down to the lower sections here. If you've got, you know, the guys you see there, the carpenters doing roofs and they could do with a young fellow with them. It takes a lot from an employer to take on the young and, fellow and, you know, to, to train them up. Um, and that's on the back of the builders or the small, the small builders. Then it needs to be funded better. Mm. Uh, why should the big builders take all the profits? We'd say the likes of BAM. And you, you, you look at BAM's profits now, which is in the billions now above in Dublin. How many apprentices has
1: BAM taken on in that project? Well, and look, I suppose the question is how much control did the government have over BAM? Full stop. When we talk about when we talk about the National Children's well, Hospital, we, if you want to well, go there, you know you're talking about something spiralling out of the control and the government having absolutely no control over the contractor that they've employed.
0: Yeah, but we're not going, we're not going on what Bama's doing. There's a government problem that they're making all the money because the government aren't capable of watching them. Yeah. That's that's a whole separate issue. We could talk about that all day. How the engineers and how they But it's a, it's a lack of control, by, isn't
1: it? Like, it's a lack of control by government over the contractors that they employ.
0: No, it's a, it's a lack of ability of engineers, QSs and architects hired by the government to control it. They 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 just can't do it. They send out... The drawings they send out to the QS, they don't do it properly. The contra- if, I, if I was building an extension for you tomorrow morning, right? The, the drawings are in front of my desk, the contract is there and the prices are there, right? You know that I can't go above that. I'm tied into it. BAM's contract is not tied in because the government are incapable of doing all the
1: paperwork at the start. This is why we have a problem up there. Yeah, you're saying that they're missing a trick, government. What's that? You, say, you, say, you said in your text that they're missing a trick, that they, that they should force builders to take on a certain percentage of apprentices. Well, I, or,
0: or at least put a 1% levy. If Dan paid 1% of the 3, of the 2 billion, probably 3 when we go there, look how much money is in the pot to train the apprentices now. Yeah. All of a sudden, there'll be a t- the, apartment Especially, that would say the the mechanic down the road could tap into it. The captain of the could, in other words, spread out the wealth. It's not working the way it is, and we need to give the young people a chance. No, you can't do it without money.
1: Yeah, should we also be kind of? Should there be a certain amount of quota from BAM themselves and and those big? contractors that they have to take in a certain amount of apprentices or that they have to sign up to some sort of apprenticeship, their own apprenticeship scheme where they bring in guides who are on the trades to work on their building sites and give them an opportunity to work on these big projects
0: Absolutely, and this is why if there was a 1% they can tip into their own 1%. You can imagine the size of BAM if they knew that they were losing for instance uh, 10 million a year right? Mm. Look how quick they hire a man to run an apprenticeship scheme within BAM. They do it overnight So, it has to be a financial effort on this. Everything else has failed. We've had the Apprentice Council of Ireland, and all they have done is hire people for bars and for restaurants. Now, I know there's 20,000 apprentices in the country, but the majority of them are in the the, the hospitality industry. That's not building homes. So, what are they doing? Uh, They're in in bars. You you, you, you can start an apprenticeship in a bar. You can start that. You know, it's ridiculous what they're doing, but...
1: You know, I, obviously I you're mean, like you're in the industry yourself like how difficult is it are you finding like how much of an onus is it on a small business to take on a, 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 an apprentice like how much you know how much would it cost you or how much extra would it would it cost you to try and bring on an apprentice and and pay that extra labor um well, uh, as a, as a apprentices, small are,
0: apprentices are very very worthwhile taking on even for the four years, to be honest. If you're doing enough contracts and the money is right, it is not financial, real financial. You are making a profit. But there's other stuff you could do with the apprentices. No, I'm, I'm past hiring an because I wouldn't have another four years left in this to take him on. But I've done loads of apprentices in in, in my lifetime. So sure us, we've done loads. But that doesn't. that's not going to cure the national problem. The problem here is the government needs to... Honestly, this is the only way over. It's a financial thing. The 1% levy on the likes of PJ Hercules, CISC, DSB, BAM, all the big heroes, all the big makers. Yeah. And that money goes into a pot and then the small fellas can dip into it. If they want this industry to go forward and they want a the small supplier or the small capital or the small plastering company to supply them with trades and good trades and good apprenticeships, they're going to have to pay into for the pot.
1: Simple it m- as. It must be galling then to hear them say, well, you know, we can't get things done because we don't have any builders to do it. Well,
0: this is the other problem. Look, I've had youngsters up to me. this someone looking for, um, and for, I've got a lovely now, he, he's walking all this, and he wants a carpentry apprenticeship. Yeah. I'm after trying everywhere for to get in. There's just not the interest to take him on. You but, know, is there and still, he's a good? Is, young is, play, eighteen. Mm anybody who wants to give me a shout there I'll
1: pass on his details. And is there, is, is there any, um, absolutely, yeah absolutely, is there, still a, is there still an appetite do you think though? Because wh- what I'm what I've found in certainly like I'm coming from the generation that grew up in the 90s where we had that big influx of you know those pharmaceuticals and those IT crowds and we were told basically like go to college, get your degree, get a master's and get out into the workforce are you finding there isn't the same appetite for the trades as there was maybe 20 25 years ago when people saw it as a very lucrative business?
0: Um, no, I, I find a lot of young fellows are asking for trades. And at Go 18, on. look Dick, can, you know, can you imagine there, you can be a Mason class or a or a mechanic and you rest of those four you'll probably only hear the last one and that's what you're going to end up in. So you, you, you're going to get good in no matter what you do. It's not as if you wanted to be a mechanic, you will actually train up and you will be good. But what I do hear is that people that have, have gone to college and I know um, in, in, in factories and stuff like that and their wages is limited, you know, they're under 40,000 or 45,000, it's taxed. A lot of them aren't happy because they're, they, they can't grow any further, you know, they can't get houses with that money. So we've created a trap for an awful lot of the people that we put that we promised yeah. that the college was good and these jobs are good we've trapped them and we've we, it's really, you know the housing is the big one from, them but you know we've, we've actually destroyed some of their
1: lives it's not fair on them you know and this is why you can see a lot of them miserable walking around Perfect, Jim. Thank you so much sure. as ever for your contribution, okay. Jim. Thank Jimmy Horn, thanks, uh, thanks as ever. It certainly won't be the last time we'll be speaking on air. I'll be sure of that, Jim. Thanks so much. Um, and look, on the subject of building, I mean, we, look, we were talking about there. Jim was talking about apprentices finding it difficult. We've been hearing from the government saying how difficult it is to build houses, how long it takes. Um, I'm going to come to William O'Brien in a in a moment's time, but we got this email over the weekend, and it reads, um, hi. Kevin, I'm living in Noonan's Road with a five month old and I'm with my brother and sister there are mice and rats, either one running around the house. I've been on to my social workers telling them I've nowhere to go I'm terrified in the house with the baby as I don't know if they are near the cot at night or even going to the toilet and the baby's toys or clothes I'm walking the city to look for places to stay for a night as social services and the public health nurses are telling me it's not safe for me to stay in the house with my baby I can't keep moving from house to house every day, I'd rather stay in the comfort of my own home. I have a picture and a video of the rat on the bed when it got through the window of the bedroom and was running towards us until the dog went and attacked it. William, this is absolutely nothing new to you. Um, you obviously know that we were up there. I was up there. I saw it myself when the when the city council came up and said that they were shocked by the conditions and yet we learned last week that they had known about it all along.
7: Good morning, Kevin. Um, so I did read the report as well, um, um, and I was my words, um, you know, I couldn't get them out. I was taken back because, look, there was a lot of commitments given by um, the executive for the residence committees um, around um, clearing back gardens, uh, getting rid of the rat infestation, the Japanese knotweed. Um, some work had commenced, um, but there was kind of false promises again, you know, um, which has been something that has been there for a very
1: long time. <laughs> It must have been like I can only imagine what residents' reaction to that was. Did you have you spoken to them since then the news has broken that that report had had been out? And I'll, I'll get into the report in more detail in a second, but just the initial reaction.
7: Yes, yeah, so the initial reaction, was I got a call from both um, chairpersons of St Finbar's Road and Women's Road committees, Um they called for a meeting, um, and also asked if um, local councillors, or TDs, could attend the meeting. So I sent out a message. And I got a response. Um, obviously people are on holidays at the minute, yeah. um, a lot of councillors and there is a bit of downtime in City Council, but um, the meetings will go ahead. Um, I'll be standing alongside the residents because I feel that, you know, it's a sensitive and complex issue and I feel the need is much more than they can get.
1: We were there and I was speaking to councillors and they were saying, look, work will begin straight away after this but we're waiting for that report in September to kind of decide ultimately what we want to do. And yes, there had been a report all along telling them exactly what they needed to do, which was to knock it and rebuild it.
7: Yeah, and uh, Thomas Gould, who's supporting the residents from day one, said this: uh, it's a scandal. You know, and I'd be, you know, saying exactly the same thing because we're talking yeah. about autonomous people that are surviving in social housing properties.
1: It's, it says here the repairs would cost 103,000 euro per unit. I think that's, sorry, excuse me. That's a good indicator of how poor condition these are in, that it would cost over a 1, thousand, a hundred thousand euro each, a total of 9.1 uh, million euros, the properties on Dean Street and Ford Street would cost 2.8 million euros and are recommended for them to be knocked. This is something that you have been saying for months why have you been forced to bang this drum when all of that information was already available?
7: Well the residents in Noonan Road and St. Timbers Road didn't know any of this and the residents of Ford Street didn't know and Dean Street residents didn't know so they've been kept in the dark and um, you know, it's 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 out there now, um, but we feel that you know people's lived experience is hitting me hard because I'm witnessing it um, and I'm listening to how they've been ignored for years. So I have to take action because that's a red flag to me.
1: Yeah, well, and uh, look, uh, you've used that word red, that phrase red flag, and I, I was actually um, kind of, I suppose, surprised by how able you were to to be quite. Fort right and and straightforward, because like this is very emotional for for everybody living in the area it's just like, it's just unacceptable for people to be living in those conditions and then for uh, the report to come out months ago and those for the, for those people to not be informed. i mean people in the Newlands Road area must be absolutely seething at this
7: yeah, so they know that I'm able to communicate you know their needs now, and what that means is that I can see and they can see is that Croc City Council are failing on an interpersonal level, not just on a housing estate management level. You know, so when we initially engaged with residents, the first word was that they were being ignored. And yeah. that has been from estate a, a to estate to estate, a and more easily on yeah. 4th Street. And they're looking for their report. They yeah. have got no report. And I, I found that the, the 4th Street residents' complex there was the first complex that was actually built you know so
1: they've been the last to hear about all these reports you know? and it, but the, but that is I mean it, it just it would make you so angry though, like it really would that like I was there and and to be fair, some of the reactions I think from those in the executive and those in the council were genuine. I do think that maybe even reports they might put down on a piece of paper, but until you actually go and see it firsthand, you actually don't know how how bad it is and when i saw it myself only then did i realize you know like because you, you can see the pictures and we put pictures up on our social media but then, like i can't remember now ex- exactly the woman's name you'll have to correct me on it she was on it she was on the bottom the the bottom floor apartment um her her what her are essentially like i think she had a, a couch that she hadn't been replacing her name might have been christine am i right in saying that but when you came into the apartment you could you could smell you you could smell the dam coming out of the walls. think that people council tenants in twenty twenty three in Cork are living under what are essentially slum conditions and that was known and those residents weren't told it it really does open up questions about what else do is known and and hasn't been disclosed exactly and it's
7: only you know because of the support of the local echo um your team and also the supporters in the background for all the residents you know so we don't see tenants we see residents so you know there's a lot of people supporting everyone in the background because they've done a lot of work local councillors have come in for other wards into Nunez Road down for the years made representations a lot of stuff by independent councillors that was just handed to the executive and not followed up on so there's just been as Thomas Gould mentioned it's a scandal because accidents don't just happen they're caused and
1: there's a lot of hope in our community. Yeah. I mean we spoke to Eileen who's a, a really, really impassioned woman and a look, a brilliant core character as well and like she was talking about some of the stuff falling off the chimneys. And I know this is stuff that people have heard before and I know that but like you have to put yourself in the shoes of people who are saying, Right, my my you know, we had a woman there who's like my daughter was You know, I found her on the couch at half six in the morning because there were rats running around her room. We have an email here from this woman. I'm walking the city to look for places to stay at night because social services are telling me it's not fit to live in. I mean, like... Now, are we still going to be like what? What is what is the outcome here? Are we still awaiting that September report to confirm what we already know from a previous report? Are we just going to start using this the, the report now that has been unearthed? Was there ever a September report to begin with, or are they were they just ever going to work off the report that they had already signed, sealed, and delivered? I'd say that on a local
7: electoral level, that these councillors um, have only found out about this as well because there's so much you know Cork City Council have a big remit but I do feel that you know there's something that's after being exposed there to me and it's nothing to do really with the report because that's structural Yeah, I'm talking about on an interpersonal level where people can engage with the landlord to highlight their issues and this is going back for years so I'm I'm after witnessing something and that I'm shocked about Yeah, that people can't communicate their needs to the landlord so if it was a private landlord in the morning the local authority govern the private sector and there would be a fine if a, a private landlord doesn't repair a chimney, doesn't get rid of rat infestation. You know, so we need equality for all housing
1: tenants. Yeah, uh, for those residents in Noonan's Road, I mean, we've been speaking about the need to knock the building. Is this something that we're going to see? Do you think? Do you? Do you is your sense that there is the? the political will and to be fair to Donald O'Keefe particularly in the execo, he has done superb work on him and I, and I want to because look we we obviously have covered it but really it was Donald started the fire here and like do you really get a sense that residents will be looked after or is this just something that we're going to be hearing lip service about for the next well, God knows how long I
7: suppose the, the time of year that it is with the summer um, you know the council shut down for a couple of months um, you know that has kind of put a, a stall a little bit that has been a walkabout there has been promises, there has been commitments, but when the residents feel, you know, that there's no trust there, I think that's what it is, Kevin, there's no trust there for years. Mm. So they're just, you know, they're not taking anything for granted at the minute. And that's why they want to engage, keep their committee meetings going, have the, you know, the support of local TDs and councillors who have been there from the start. um, So they have that as well. But it's just, I suppose if you don't trust somebody, where do you stand? So that's that's where I'm looking in on this, um, because I'm listening to the residents
1: yeah she said you you said you met one resident who told you that my landlord is a hazard to me my, my landlord my landlord aka the Cork City Council, is a hazard
7: yeah and she asked me to quote that because she suffers with dyslexia and she's um just she after surviving a stroke um she's living in a one bedroom flat um in it's dilapidated the same as Noonan's Road and St. Finbarr's Road. Um, she's waiting for a walking show to be put in for the last three hours. Um, you know, so she says she feels like she's talking to a brick wall.
1: It's like something, it's like, I can tell you, having seen it, it's like something out of Oliver Twist, you know? It's like something out of a no, Dickens, it's Dickensian.
7: Yeah. yeah, and they said, look, um, people have mentioned to me that, you know, they have been just doing so much work themselves trying to engage with the landlord, you know, and getting no response. Mm-hmm. And said, one lady said to me, you know, they won't listen to me. And this is how I've been treated. Yeah. Forgotten. Well they're not forgotten, I suppose, which, you know, the support is from the public. Um we feel that the Nunes Royal campaign is, you know, still strong, um, still moving forward and um, to support other residents in their local area because I met a lovely Egyptian family in Fourth Street who've got loans to, you know, remodel the property and never been reimbursed because the chimney is still leaking. You know, so you know, there's a lot of failures um, and what we need to see is, is action oh, yeah. because uh, Cobb City Cobb City comes with responsibilities the same as private
1: landlords Yeah, absolutely Look, no, uh, keep fighting the good fight William, thanks so much for uh, for getting back in touch with us and do stay in touch uh, with any good developments talk. in the Noonan's Road William O'Brien community activist uh, with the Noonan's Road and 4th Street uh, community groups
2: Talk to Neil Prenderville
1: now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Kevin Galvin uh, stepping in for Neil Prenderville on this Tuesday, the 8th of August 2023. Hope it's a good one wherever you are around Cork City, County, or indeed across the world listening in on redfm.ie. Remember, as I said, the uh, text number is 086 106. You can WhatsApp us as well if you are international. And the phone line is 0818 104 106. You can also email Neil at redfm.ie. Some people have already been in touch regarding text, particularly um, that incredible video, frightening video, um, over the weekend of that Mercedes-Benz driving down the N40 ring road or the link, what, the, the link as colloquially known, even though I know the south link is the road going in towards, the, the, but anyway you know what I mean. The N40 um, going down the wrong way. Uh, somebody says regarding motorways, why can't barriers be put on slip roads which won't lift up if you're going the wrong way and only open when you're going the correct way. That has always puzzled me. It's Good good point. Could somebody drive through a barrier? I suppose it depends. I have certainly hit a toll barrier in the past and they just bend out of your way so I suppose it depends on how solid the thing is. They used to have up those spikes at McDonald's on the Commons Road. I'm not sure why. They were up there a few years ago. British Army checkpoints at the border but Northern Ireland had them too. Uh, thanks to our team here at Neil Prendival's show, uh, Claire O'Connor and uh, Seamus Whelan and of course Brita Forest, in the background giving us this updated information. They said the spikes allowed cars a shortcut from the neighbouring petrol station into McDonald's but not the other way around and the shortcut has now Sid, been since so it's basically just to stop people acting a maggot and, and cutting through. Uh, somebody says lovely to hear you on the radio Kevin, thank you very much doing a great job, thank you very much. Uh, I met somebody coming down the slip road from Man Point but when he saw me he realised he was going the wrong way and did a U-turn. I wasn't speeding anyway, he jumped, must have just made a mistake. That's for Marie in Clon. Thanks uh, Marie, a regular listen to ourselves. Um, yeah Um. I, this is the thing, this is what struck me about that video that people were flashing and beeping and he was just or he or she like could want to misgender the person in the car but definitely they were driving in the wrong direction and like did either were completely oblivious to it didn't care we we don't know um until we, we find out more but that, that certainly was the situation the south link is not a motorway it's a dual carriageway indeed it is um correct but um, still a dual carriageway where you can go up to 100 kilometers an hour and frequently people go above that I can tell you from experience in driving in that road. So not that far off a motorway and I'm sure if you meet somebody coming in the opposite direction you're not going to pontificate about the differences between the two but I do understand your text. It's fair play. Um, somebody said I was on the North Ring Road when the car nearly killed us by driving through the traffic lights. I take it that's the traffic lights by the Duns in Ballyvalan. That's, that's always a disaster. There's actually I, I reckon. I think there's an issue with those lights because there's always a delay on the side going down the hill as if they're going towards Blackpool. So that turn for going right it goes green and then nobody moves and the person going right going into town thinks that the person is leaving them go but it's actually because their lights are delayed and it's all a bit of a mess um, but yeah he said he drove in and out the wrong side of the road as he hit the step I jumped out and stopped him from driving further but to my surprise the elderly man had, had a stroke I felt so guilty and I roared and was quite angry but I quickly got him help the poor man yeah and it, well, look I've seen that in myself like I mean We were going to, I think it was the FAI Cup final in around 2013 when City were in that superb run and we were driving down the road that goes alongside the Grand Canal and we saw a man just reverse I don't know what happened he, his foot got stuck something happened and he literally mounted the pavement and was going backwards into the canal and it was only just the fact that there was a tree there he hit the tree and you could see his face he was just totally stunned by what had happened so I, I know Cork this uh, over the weekend reported about about obviously the case in Mitchellstown and there was a kind of some sort of tenuous link made between the two but I just would be very careful to comment on it because we just don't know why that person uh, was going in that direction Um so somebody else says before when you were crossing a road you'd hear a car coming but at a bend you could be blindsided into thinking there was no car approaching I nearly got caught a few times now by electric cars because you can't hear them coming at all I yeah I'm quite surprised by that because like I thought that electric cars were supposed to have some sort of noise kind of fitted to them so that even though they were driving at low speed there was a noise that you could hear them but I, I have noticed that you can it kind of there's a very very slight kind of battery whine when they take off first but like other than that you can hear absolutely nothing uh, somebody says well done for mentioning the nationalities of three drug, drug dealing scumbags I was in the car all day yesterday listening to radio stations length and breadth of the country and that once was the fact that they were Albanian and Romanian mentioned in fact their addresses seem more important for some reason from Richie and Talker. Thanks, Richie. Um, I mention it because that's the fact and we have to report on the facts. If it was an Irish person doing the same thing, I would be reporting that they were an Irish. If it was somebody from Swahili or from Eritrea or from South America, you know, Colombia or from wherever across the world, it doesn't matter, like, facts are facts. That's, that's not a judgment call on the fact that they're, you know, not from Ireland because there's plenty of people are convicted from drug offences in Ireland that are Irish too, but... I don't see any problem in in mentioning their nationalities. That's where they're from. But that's not necessarily to say that that's the only reason why they're involved in drugs. Um, On the subject of TikTok, good morning, can you clear something up for me? Lately, I've noticed the number of van and car drivers using TikTok while driving is crazy. I'm on TikTok myself. And while scrolling through the app, I've noticed a mad number of people using TikTok while driving. I've challenged some of those users and they've told me it's not illegal once they are not holding the phone in their hand. That is incorrect, I can tell you. But yet they are reading the messages while driving driving surely this must be against the law thank you paul sorry i can't come on the phone i'm not i'm at work but i'm not driving thanks <laughs> glad to hear that you're, you're you're not driving um while you're on the phone yeah i i i look i think if your phone is a distraction you have probable cause to think that you're dangerous driving i'm not exactly sure under which subsection of the traffic offences using a phone while driving would fall under but i suspect if you're so distracted by a tiktok that you're a danger to others on the road that could be deemed as being uh, a <laughs> dangerous driving and distracted driving is extremely dangerous don't use your phone and and actually on that point one of the things i think that people kind of fall into a trap is that they have the phone on the dashboard and they can see the phone in front of them but like you're still being distracted by it just because you're not picking it up on your hand doesn't mean you're not being distracted by it so just just put it away better off to have somewhere in the car where you can put it away put it face down so you can not see if you have any messages and if you need to pull in take a call don't do it on a motorway do it other than that and finally somebody says morning lads super show this morning Kevin's doing a great job thank you very much I know you were talking about Beaumont Nursing Home the other week and you've probably heard already but Apparee Living in Belgoolie is to to close early next week I have a family member we've received a letter through a link on a text last Wednesday less than a half an hour ago we'll come back to that tomorrow because um, I was speaking to Stuart, um, I'm going to misname him now, but uh, Stuart from uh, Care Choice uh, who are looking after the Beaumont uh, resident. Now he's hoping that he will have some sort of news on it very shortly, but we're just awaiting that. Certainly there seems to be a little bit more engagement from government on Beaumont Nursing Home, so let's hope that can be sorted. We'll be back after the break.
2: The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818 104
1: 106. And speaking Speaking of lines being open, we will now open the lines for our first of four fabulous prizes thanks to our friends at Cork and a Fork Day. We'll see the city transformed into a one enormous food festival for the entire week. It includes more than 100 food events including tasting trails, cooking demos, masterclasses, street events, bite-sized talks, symposiums, tons of free events, unique dining experiences and specials. And you know what? When you go to cities, you see all over. You see food tours of, you know, I went to Delhi, you do food tours of Delhi and food tours of Buenos Aires and food tours of Paris, so why not um, do similar uh, in Cork? So, uh, we're going to make it easier for you today. We're just going to open up the lines. We're going to take caller number nine, who will be in with the chance of winning a pair of tickets to the Cork Oyster Shocking Championship. That's on Saturday, the 19th of August from 7 o'clock. The Metropole will host a magical evening of mollusk related food, fun and (laughs) frolics. Mollusk related. I just have this idea of somebody waving you in and big um, muscle or like in a big oyster costume welcome to the Mollusk Festival Um, open to all masterclasses will also be available for amateurs early in the day from two time Guinness World Record Oyster shucker Paddy McMurray from Toronto Canada is that like by amount of oysters shucked or how fast you can do it or it seems strange he will judge the competition on the night uh, iron stomach I imagine Um, the event will include a sparkling oyster reception evenings entertainment selection of finest seafood light bites and canapes and a complimentary drink so the lines are now open for that uh, caller number nine will be with a chance of winning but uh, we will have plenty for the rest of the week we have two tickets to the opening night street, fe- um, street feast that's the fla- flavour of Princess Street two tickets to the Cork and a Fork tasting trail which is uh, something I'd absolutely love to do um, and two tickets to sailing shocking and shanties um, so yeah that does. It, it seems like they've tried to throw me in the deep end here my first day just trying to get me to say something wrong um, but we will have all three of the those, but I'm looking for your best summer stories. We're going to have a bit of crack with this now over the week. Um, it's a bit glum at the moment. The weather isn't great, so I want to hear your best summer stories. I want to hear you having laughs. laugh. So the funnier, the more crazy, the better. Um, that's what I want to hear. So yeah, thanks to our friends at Cork and a Fork for that. Lines are open and we will come back to that. We also have passes to give away for Ballyhas Lakes uh, before the end of the show and I will be speaking to Michelle Keneally. Uh, no, sorry, I was speaking to somebody else in Ballyhas Lakes later on. Um, I'll just misread there for myself. But uh, some who had another uh, interesting weekend and certainly a very interesting uh, letter come in his letterbox is a man I actually know extremely well Um, that is Wyan Stansfield from uh, Pinocchio's Toy Shop on Paul Street Wyan, our paths have crossed so many times in so many different ways at this stage I can't believe it but you had um, a very uh, look it's, it's a heartwarming story isn't it, I suppose explain to us kind of what happened
9: well, we got we got on uh, last week. We got a letter well, earlier this week. We got a letter from from a, a young man who sent us a letter that says, "Dear owner of Pinocchio's toy shop, sorry, I need to remove my glasses to read that. It's an age thing. Um, I have stolen an item from your shop. I swear I will never ever do something like that ever again. My sincere apologies, Oliver." <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just is lovely. It's you brilliant, know? isn't it? It's it's it's, it's brilliant. Si- I, I, as as Claire was saying here, like it's it's the sign of very good parenting, isn't it?
9: Yes, yeah. I think that's that's the most important thing about it. It's the sign of good parenting. He did something. He made a mistake. You need to own up to it. He did. Yeah. Uh, you know. I mean, and it does happen. Like we we do get it. You know, frequently, little boys or little girls put something in their pockets but not intentionally, just kind of, you know, they're holding it in their hand or I mean adults do it as well to be fair. So um, yeah, well, you know <laughs> that's it's that. an easy thing to do, you know, walking well, uh, around uh, a bookshop yeah, with a book under your arm and then yeah. walking through the door going, Oh my God, how did yeah. that get there?
10: And that's true.
9: And so that's you true. know, um, people do get patted down occasionally on the way out the door by their parents. So it, it, it's, it's a it's a common enough thing and mostly it's red faced parents returning around the door going, I'm so sorry you know, little Johnny took this. But this was just lovely. I mean it's just, you know, writing the letter. I mean, we replied to we sent a letter back to him saying, you know, how delighted we are and it takes a it takes a big man to apologize for something and that we hope
1: you you're more than welcome to come back any Brilliant. Yeah. I was going to say it. It seemed like a strange choice, though, to take a single marble. You know, I feel like if there was intent behind it, there probably would have been a. I mean,
9: th- exactly. I mean, there's never intent. There's never intent behind that sort of thing. Not not well. Sorry, that's, obviously that's not true. Sometimes there is intent, but you know, in most of those kind of things like that, it's it's just you know he's walking around with marble and he just sticks it in his pocket because he doesn't really think about it. I mean, yeah. I imagine looking at the writing, you're talking about. I don't
1: know, you know a six seven eight year old at most yeah and, a, and a lesson learned the hard way for him i mean is this the, the is this the, the strangest uh, thing you've had taken from the shop have you have you had letters oh, in no, the past
9: I mean, you, no i don't I don't ever remember anyone writing to us to say that they had taken some, and as I say, I mean you certainly get you know regularly enough you get a parent about two minutes after they've left the shop going, "Oh my God, i'm so <laughs> sorry." <laughs> You know, he had this in his pocket, but like I don't think we've ever had a letter about it before. You know, and it it just made us all smile. I mean, it was just—it's just a lovely, it's a lovely thing. And you can see by the reaction on social media that everyone thinks the same. Good parenting. And it just just makes you smile.
0: It's um, not often you can
1: say that. Well, yeah, I was going to say you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't consider framing it and putting it over the door for a warning for future <laughs> naughty boys and girls. No, future naughty. No,
9: no, no. I'm sure they'll they'll keep doing it regardless. You know, um, um,
1: is there anything else flying out the door at the moment? I, I mean, in terms of actually intentionally flying out the door. Because, look, I mean, you'll know Joe Cotter very well from, from Cork yes, City is, as well. And you'll know about household yes. linens. And it is a very difficult um, uh, kind of uh, situation to be in as a local trader in Cork at the moment, isn't it? It's a, cha-
9: it's a challenging thing. I mean, retail in general these days is a challenging thing to remain in. I mean, you know, obviously we've had to go online. I'd hate to see online business taking over the, the bricks and mortar of the shop. Yeah. Um you know, and I hope it never does. I mean I hope I hope for us I mean for us the bricks and mortar is still the the strongest thing. But but you know, we have we have had to, to go online because that that is what a lot of people do. I, I it's very retail is very challenging. You know, I mean people think people are being ripped off by retailers or restaurants or that but to be honest, it's a you know being an independent retailer
1: is it is a difficult business it's a hard business I, it, and I suppose it's um it's it's like toys are those things that they're so tactile there. you know it's a kind of an experience yeah, right. you know when you're young going to a toy shop was a, it's, it's it's kind of like you know you are literally yeah. a kid in a toy shop so it's it's the, yeah, that sense of yeah. you know the absolute and wonder and amazement see, of everything that surrounds you oh
9: it is and you still see it when people you can see when people come into the shop you can see them and like mouth open looking around them when they see what they've come into because it and it's always and it should be like that in the toy shop it should be a kind of a an experience a world of wonder you know it it should be an experience when you come in both for the adults and for the children you know they
1: should walk away yeah they should walk away smiling. Yeah, Hopefully well, well purchasing uh, something. <laughs> Hopefully they do. I'm, I'm sure Oliver probably didn't on the day, but maybe now that everything's I don't happening, know. he, he, he <laughs> might have. Well, but yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> Certainly, it's been sorted. Look, Wayne, thanks so much. Um, You're a great very Great story, and uh, look, the very best to success uh, as Thank as you. always to Pinocchio. It's kind of a, a, a real landmark in the middle of Paul Street, and it's always great to see you on the window. And quickly, just before I leave, you go the most popular thing selling at the moment.
6: Um
9: male mice are hugely popular. They're like, they're Danish. It's a Danish company that makes these little mice matchboxes. And the, the detailing, and, the, and they're not cheap. They're quite expensive. And they seem to be collected by both Adults and children, and just, I just—I we sell loads of them. I mean, it's just
1: fantastic. Brilliant. I hope they're not modelled on those at the Noonans Road. Um, look, uh, Wayne, thank you so much. Not to make light thank of that situation much. at all, but no, thank Wayne. Thank you so much, and, and like the very very, very best welcome. of success. And look, uh, speaking of um, things to do on the summer, um, we were speaking obviously about indoor uh, activities. Uh, we're now speaking about the outdoor activities because I'm joined uh, by Owen McCarthy, general manager at Ballyhas centre. Now, Owen, look, big supporters of ourselves at Red FM, really appreciate your continued support. Ballyhas is just one of those places that it's like, I'm booking a day off, I'm going out to Mallow, and I'm getting absolutely soaked.
10: Well, you're getting soaked by the rain today, or, or this summer, <laughs> I think, but um, yeah, no, thanks a million, thanks for having me on, and, and delighted to, to to be a support because you guys are doing such a great job of promoting Cork and everything we're doing so um, we're just the the, the outdoor aspect of it Um, but yeah no like great days this summer and and we're always welcoming people in from far and away. so it's uh, it's definitely one of those summer summer activities, summer check boxes. but we have loads on to offer for, for, for all well, well, I
1: was going to say, like just, you you're speaking about the weather, but like an awful lot of what I think of Bally has to think of the, the, you know, I think of the, 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 obviously there's the slides and trampolines and climbing walls, but what I'm thinking about is the big kind of, the water, on, out in the lake, doing water yeah, yeah, sports, yeah. doing the adventure course kind of, you know, it's like almost like total wipeout, but slightly scaled down. So does, does the weather affect it? Because a lot of people kind of just expect that they're going to be thrown on a wet. So and get wet anyway.
10: Well, that's exactly it, you know, and I, I think you said it like right on there, you know, the aquaparks are perfect in all weather. I would argue that they're better in the rain. Everything's a little bit more slippy, everything's <laughs> already wet, you're, you're, you're ready for it before you ever get on there, like, you know what I mean? So it's, um, it's a great rainy day activity and we supply all the wetsuits, life jackets, so, it's perfect from six years and up everyone can kind of take part in it like you know what i mean so um one part of it but we do kayaking stand-up paddle boarding. we have an amazing kayak tour down in coachford in our Coachford location as well um a lee valley kayak tour that you can kayak right up into cargner drawhead and kayak around a castle on a bridge there to cargner castle so it's one of these kind of bucket list little trips that are on your doorstep and you kind of never know it's there you know what i mean so again Another
1: one. Weatherproof uh, activities, thankfully. I was. I was just going to say. I say that with a heed of warning, though, because I <laughs> have been told reliably, and I can attest to this, that uh, two man kayak boats are known as divorce boats because <laughs> both people are paddling <laughs> in opposite directions and swearing at each other, saying that the other one's doing the wrong thing. I've definitely had yeah. that that experience before. I can tell you. Yeah, um, you would
10: be both I, I would always recommend the back seat anyway. Seat yeah.
1: <laughs> up for sure. <laughs> definitely. Look, uh, Owen, oh, thanks so much. I wish I had longer. Um, which, but uh, but look, it, it is fantastic stick with Ballyhast there's so much as I said there's like there's axe throwing the saunas and kayak, as you say you mentioned the kayaking already so and, and, and kayaking is one of those things that, like it just gives you such a brilliant sense of freedom out in the boat you're yep. totally chill um, if they uh, how are you kind of looking now as we get towards like you, the last month You are you are, are you under pressure a little bit to try and get people through before the, the summer holidays finish or do you think that uh, like, we'll be uh, still ticking over when we get to September you know,
10: well, I, I think we're still ticking over You know, we're, we're still in the height of our summer camps so we have a great one day summer camp product called our one day warriors which is kind of one of those ones that's fully supervised from 10 to 3 you get a land water and height activity and it's one of those ones that's great for the back to schools. you've got all the plans done but you can fit them in on any given day it runs tuesday wednesday thursday so that's one thing that's that's highly recommended that's kind of for 8 to 16 year olds but we have new accommodation on our uh, mallow side of bunkhouse village um, and that's been a real roaring success. Brand new for this year, but we're, we're we're pitching it as family adventure camping. So you still have to bring your your, your gear, but you can get really affordable adventure accommodation here. And it, it's ideal for kind of a, a last minute break before you go back to school and that kind of stuff. So we're trying to, in the environment that it is, it's we're trying to target an affordable accommodation for once. Combine it with our outdoor experiences, and I think there's a great opportunity there for for people to get that break just before they go back to back to school and. And that goes right into September and October as well. The outdoors doesn't close at
1: any point of the year, you know. Brilliant. And as you say, those uh, bunkhouses, we are giving away three family passes for the Aquapark and a two-night stay for four people in one of your brand new bunkhouses. And if you want to book it yourself, you can go to www.ballyhass.ie. Owen, thanks so much for joining How's us and very best success to yourselves, of course, you for going forward. So we're going to open the lines for that and we should have a winner on the other side of this brick.
2: Get it off your chest. Call Neil Brenderville now on 0818 104
1: 106 Red FM. OK, that's my lot today. Thanks to our team here, Claire O'Connor, Seamus Wheelhead and Breida Forrest for putting together the show today for me. Michelle Keneally was our winner of the Oyster Shocking Championship uh, tickets, so enjoy that. And just a final note to see, just looking at the pictures of Shane O'Connor's funeral, just so, so sad um, to see her body carried through on a, a little VW camper van, a, a, fi- a fitting, fitting way for her to go. For
0: more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward podcasts.